I notice in your notes, Paul, hot tag comes after swerve. <laughs> I would have thought it had been the other way around. No, I thought the swerve was the hot tag. <laughs> All right, okay. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it. The, the swerve was that he got a tag. <laughs> Hurry, my son! Get away from the stove! The real white finger tiger approaches! The fate has been set! Hurry! Hurry, my son! My father, I smell his presence also! I feel him! Where am I? Here. I've never been here before. Ah, it's not hot. What is this place? I know you. I know you too. You two are behind. The demise of Hulkamania. I know about the Zodiac. I know about the dangerous Kamala. Oh yeah. I know about the man-eater. The shark. But Instant Stone is a legacy. The immortality of Hulkamania. And you too will be buried beneath it. You don't understand. Hogan, this is where darkness dwells and lives. Nobody has ever been able to defeat the immortal Hulk Hogan, except yourself. You see, Hogan, you're the one that created me. And because of that, it's this simple. Your My power is a million times greater than the power of Hulkamania. I'm the greatest giant to ever walk the face of the earth. And I am the one true immortal.
Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the New Generation Project podcast, where we eradicate the hero of Hulkamania and <laughs> horrify the architects of attitude <laughs> in looking at the dark arts of wrestling, the mid-90s. Today we changed the channel to WCW to have a peek at how Atlanta has changed in the 15 months since the debut of Hulk Hogan. It's Halloween Havoc 1995. My name is the Taskmaster, Stuart Brooks. <laughs> oh dear, I'd have to think. <laughs> and I'm joined today by our very own White Bengal Tigers. It's the Math Blaster, Paul Scrivens, my son. Thank you, that's all right. And the Iron Mullet, Adam Wikes. Hello. I can't take credit for that. That was submitted by Eric Johnston for our challenge, but I thought I'd use it there. That is amazing. It was pretty funny. Yes. Thank I you. Like, I like that. So well done. How are you both doing? Uh, we're, we're on a wave of euphoria, I think, in the house. We are indeed. And why is that? Because Leicester City had a, had a big football match this afternoon and they won 5-3. Against Manchester United. Against Manchester United. It, it was splendid and tremendous. Both of those things. 3-1 down as well. Incredible. I mean, uh, this may be lost on to anybody that isn't a football fan, but it's a big sporting deal for our city. Yes. Well, well, did you see we got on Twitter a little while ago, someone from America had said they'd started supporting Leicester City. No, no. Of, yeah, that's an actual that's thing. It's finally paid off for them. Yeah. <laughs> they now have one fan in America. <laughs> They'll be touring before the end of the year. Yeah. But you're both well, yes? Yeah, both well. How, how are you doing, Stuart? Yes, yes, very good. Thank you very much. You're not slightly angry? I was, because we had to wait like an hour and a half for our takeaway. I think they just forgot about us. Yeah. This is the first time this has happened, isn't it? That we're sort of like full of takeaway and it's at night and we're recording. Yeah, because mm. generally pizza parlours aren't open at like 10am on a yeah, Sunday morning. it's normally a morning affair. It's normally coffee and donuts. Or we've been out for a breakfast. Yes. Yeah. So we'll see how this affects the dynamic. Whether... <laughs> Whether we're better on bacon and eggs or chips and kebab. I didn't have kebab. You had a burger. A burger. You had a burger. You wolfed down a burger. Yeah. I'm a fast eater. So this episode, we challenge you, the audience, to book your own Dungeon of Doom stable. You are the Taskmaster and you have four disciples. Here are our favourite suggestions. There were a few less responses for this one. I think this was a more difficult challenge. Probably. But the level of depth that people submitted on the ones they did was fantastic. So. Well I've only read a couple so far, so I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what's coming. But some of the ones were very good, so I think that they are raising the bar in quality. So let's kick off. The new Dungeon of Doom, featuring Zach Gowan as the unpredictable wonky donkey. <laughs> Prince Albert as the imposing wolfman. Ooh, I like that, yeah. The alluring Buff Bagwell as the one-man wang. <laughs> and the charismatic Kofi Kingston as the task raster. That's, that's very good. That is good. I like the inclusion of Albert in there. Yeah. He, he could almost have like a mullet top trump for his back. <laughs> good, good play on words. Do you think he could have it long at the bottom of his back and sort of spiky at the top of his back? Yeah, kind of like business-like on the shoulders and all party down the spine. That is Excellent. a thought to behold, really. Zack Ryder as the invisible man on account of the fact people have heard of him but never seen him. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. Shark Boy as El Hijo del Shark. That makes uh, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mantar as Mantar. Oh, it's nice that yeah. Mantar's in there. And Brutus Beefcake as, well, just stick a pin in the list of gimmicks up on the wall of the booking office because, let's face it, <laughs> he's been given everything conceivable by an adult or a child's mind. Mm. True. Yeah, fair enough. And was Brutus the Barber Beefcake your favourite as a child, Adam? I could see why you think that, but but no, the Ultimate Warrior was. I think I went less for the hair stylist and more for the hair. So that's something that's evolved for you? I guess. 
Well, I'm going to put this out there. Brutus the Barber Beefcake was the only action figure I owned as a child. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I've still got it somewhere. He came with a little pair of shears that weren't sharp. Why Brutus Beefcake? I think I quite liked him when I was a kid for some reason. Because he had oh. the barber shop? Yeah, maybe. Did he ever have a quartet? <laughs> <laughs> no, him. That's Hogan what his theme should have been. Boys. Yeah. He could have had a quartet. He's come out. Imagine that at WrestleMania. Well, he kind of has in the Dungeon of Doom now, hasn't he? Yeah. <laughs> the Dungeon of Doom is a barbershop quartet. Yeah. That's <laughs> a very been different amazing. beast, isn't it? Yeah. So this one goes as follows. The dungeon has to end Hulkamania, so I'll take Vince Russo as the gobbledybooker. <laughs> Hogan's old hips as the new powers of pain. <laughs> Nick Hogan as Count Crashula. And Linda Hogan as the divorcee. I see. It's a good theme yeah, there. I like that. Is, uh, yeah. The Dungeon of Womb. I like oh, where this is going. This, yeah. A stable of second-generation wrestlers that no one has asked for. So we have in this little Jimmy Del Rey. Hang on. Let, let, this must be the appropriate juncture to bring up that picture. <clears throat> yeah, of him sans mullet, sans moustache. As was it Jimmy Graffiti? Jimmy Graffiti. He was. And, and people saying that, that he's had some very good matches. Yeah, well, he's only there for a couple of months. I think we discussed it previously, but yeah, he has matches with Rey Mysterio. Was the one I've seen, and someone Somebody pointed out Dean Malenko. Malenko yeah. But yeah, I need, I need to see those, yeah. You do. The Heartbreak Kid's Kid. <laughs> That's good. Kid Vicious. <laughs> and Boytar. <laughs> All managed by Sensational Sherry's daughter, Mediocre Mary. <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> Tickled me. We have The Dungeon of Doom 2014 featuring Daniel Bryan as the son of Zodiac slash Zodiac Jr., the yes, no chance reach a point where the only things he can say are yes and no. <laughs> Soon Brian shows up on Raw with black and white face paint and matching trunks. Now that I would watch. <laughs> Brodus Clay as B-Rex. After the failure of his dancing career as the Funkasaurus, Brodus decides to begin acting like an actual dinosaur, using a move repertoire of biting, swinging an invisible tail and stomps. Yeah. Soon B-Rex will go through an identity crisis and eventually turns face pairing off with Santino Morella where Santino rides on the back of Brodus all the time <laughs> deep thoughts yeah. yeah Kurt Angle as the wrestling machine with Kurt Angle looking to make one more run with the WWE he considers that in order to prolong his ability to wrestle he must become a machine Angle returns with cyborg implants on his body, being fueled by the three eyes, and upon returning, rips the foot off of Jack Swagger after applying the ankle lock at the lightest strength setting. <laughs> we have Melina as Queen Banshee. During a match, Melina's screams become so uncontrollable that many people begin to suffer. Feeling alienated, she finds solace with the Dungeon of Doom and using her new screaming powers to run havoc in the women's division and provide the needed interference for the rest of the Dungeon members when she valets for them. Hmm. This is like essay length. Really. That was full on booking. That's good. Next one, El Torito actually thinking he's a bull and mooing all the time, a la Manta. Damien Sandow as a savant, only talking in riddles and constantly analysing everything. Jeff Jarrett as a psychopathic mute strumming a guitar. And Shawn Michaels having a crisis of confidence, thinking he's no longer a sexy boy. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> I like that. The next one is, I introduce you to an assemblage of talent. Its greatness is rarer than a white Bengal tiger shark. Oh. Typhoon returns to WCW. Breaking down the walls of the fortress of Hulkamania as the Shark Master. Yeah, yeah. that's very good. Yeah. Greg the Hammer Valentine will chop down Hulk Hogan at the knees as Hammerhead. 
Mabel jumps to WCW to become the mighty whale shark. And Dwayne Gill appears as Dwayne Gills. There's blood in the water, Hogan. And the dorsals of doom are coming for you and your chum, Jimmy Hart. That's really good. Adam, you're a big fan of sharks. I'm a massive fan of sharks, yeah. I went cage diving with great whites once. You're not just a fan of sharks, you're a host of knowledge about sharks. Yeah. What's, what's the fastest shark? I believe that would be the shortfin mako shark. I could be wrong on that. You know, let us know if I am, but... You don't think you are? I don't think I am, no. What's the most deadly shark? Oh, and is it John Tenter? <laughs> I think the bull shark probably runs in being one of the most dangerous sharks because it can regulate its salt content, therefore it can go up estuaries and stuff. Oh, so... And I... therefore comes into closer contact with humans. I mean, we were in my car, this is probably about a year ago now, I think we were at a Burger King, and they were talking on the radio about that uh, you're more likely to be injured by uh, a human bite than a shark bite. Yeah, well, I mean... So you just... bit him? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it explains well, a lot. <laughs> sh- sharks... You know, don't really attack humans all that often, but obviously crazy people will bite each other. <laughs> look, at Lewis, look at Lewis Suarez. I, I love your deep analysis. Yeah, yeah. But no, the most dangerous shark, I don't know, the, the, there's an argument to be made for the oceanic white tip, I think, because it'll just feed upon sailors that, in, uh, in ships that go down in the ocean. You, Adam, you're doing a lot of movements with your hands to I'm gesticulating this. quite a lot. I know that doesn't come over on the audio-only podcast, but... There you go. Yeah, there you go. The Dungeon of Fucking Loons. <laughs> a ragtag bunch of insane lunatics consisting of the Iron Sheik, the Ultimate Warrior, Sid Vicious, Vince Russo, Ryback, and manager Lou Albano as they wreak havoc with insane words, baffling action, and mass unleashing of Bengal tigers. Mm. Promos for that would be yeah. fantastic. Yeah, yeah. We have the Dungeon of the Doomed, the Red Rooster, Nails, Giant Gonzalez, and the Genius. A mixed mm. bag, but I think it might work. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The next one just says George Galloway. <laughs> <laughs> Is that because they think he might look a little bit like the Taskmaster? Possibly. I don't know. Also, it's I, just quite random. Yeah. I don't know if that was a reply intended for, like, something else. else. Or whether that was a, leg- <laughs> a legit selection. But, yeah, fantastic. George Galloway. <laughs> the Dungeon of Groom, which consists of wrestlers that have been in weddings on television. Okay, mm. so hang on, hang on. Randy Savage. In his SummerSlam 1991 wedding attire. Edge. In his 2005 wedding to Lita attire. Either Test or Triple H. Test in his November 99 Raw wedding attire. And finally... Daniel Bryan? No. I'm I'm out. Matt Hardy? No. Do they have a wedding? I don't believe so. I'm just making that up (laughs) for Yeah. Kane? No, that's the one I was thinking of. In his wonderful wedding suit he wore in his marriage to Lita. The submittee has also just put at the end, I would wear a Vickers outfit. (laughs) (laughs) The new Dungeon of Doom. Bruce Hart, Keith Hart... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> wait for it Butch Reed and Ron Simmons get it because of the Hart Dungeon and Reed and Simmons were Doom in WCW ah, 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 very clever good, yeah, yeah. and finally we have Owen Hart as the Blue Surfer Colonel Parker as Mr. Boss Hog the oil tycoon bent on flooding the world with toxic stuff John Cena as an evil rapper who sleeps with people's girlfriends <laughs> Terry Taylor as King Cock, the Lord of the Birds. <laughs> and lastly, Rhino as a giant rhino. <laughs> <laughs>
But that there was some very yeah, good stuff. Very in nice, there. very nice. Yeah. So thank you very much to everyone who had a go at that one. So what's been going on in WCW since our last pay per view visit in July 1994? I think it's more or less the same. <laughs> Well, after capturing the WCW world title from Ric Flair at Bash at the Beach, the Hulkster continued his programme with the Nature Boy at Halloween Havoc 94, retaining his title against Flair in a steel cage career versus career match with Mr. T as the special ringside enforcer. Mr. T? Mr. T. Wow. I wonder who would thank for, for that. I wonder. Did you also <laughs> notice it was a, a career versus career match? Yeah, I did pick up on that. Which Ric Flair lost. But this this is like so, 1994, right? Yeah. Okay. And they're both on this pay-per-view, right? Yeah. Okay. So that lasted. With Flair retired, Hogan moved on to feud with an equally as main event opponent, his old pal, Ed Leslie, a.k.a. Brutus Beefcake, now known as The Butcher. Because he turned heel on Hogan and butchered their friendship. Ah. Genius. Mm. So he didn't just like come out with like a pig's head or anything? No. Or like a meat cleaver. <laughs> that could have like an actual butcher's gimmick could go places. Yeah. Probably not a lot of main event places. But <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're pals with Hogan, it's definitely oh, like you a sure imagine, shot. At a you can imagine kind of event. choking somebody with a link of sausages. <laughs> That didn't happen, as far well, as I'm link aware. Just, is Link just one? A Link is one, One, yeah. okay. With a chain of Links. Of <laughs> <laughs> that's the appropriate quantity. Beefcake, surprisingly enough, was not as much of a draw as Ric Flair. The buy rate <laughs> for their showdown at Starcade in December 1994... Was 14 buys. Came in at a 0.6, 40% lower than Hogan Flair at Halloween Havoc. Oh, dear. Moving on to a pretty obvious next opponent, Hogan would match up against Vader. Hmm. Defeating the former WCW champ by disqualification at Super Brawl in February, in a leather strap match at Uncensored in March, alongside Randy Savage in a tag match with Vader partnered with the now unretired Ric Flair at Slamboree in May, and finally in a steel cage match at Bash at the Beach in July. So basically, yeah, for a number of months, Hogan just steamrolled over Vader. Maybe they could do a steamroller match. Where they have two steamrollers on top linked of some kind of stadium, kind of linked up with a, in a hundred foot diameter circle. Maybe. So Bash at the Beach, anyway, was held on an actual beach, meaning nobody at all paid to get in. Drawing WCW <laughs> a huge zero dollars. Buy rates for the Vader feud did rebound a little, but not to the level of Hogan's debut in mid-94. Following this, Hogan would begin a series with Kevin Sullivan's Dungeon of Doom stable. But where did this bizarre stable come from? I don't know. I can only think drugs. <laughs> well, the last time we saw Kevin Sullivan, he was a babyface winning the WCW tag team titles alongside Cactus Jack. With Hogan debuting in WCW, Kevin's Eugene-esque brother, Dave Sullivan, became a big Hulkamaniac, and our Kev wasn't too pleased with this. Kevin would turn on Dave in August 1994, shortly before the angle where the former Brutus Beefcake turned on the Hulkster. The angle was that of a masked man attacking Hogan at random points. The original reveal was supposed to be Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig, but when his signing for WCW didn't happen, plans were switched and it was revealed to be Beefcake, now the Butcher. Butcher would reveal that it was Kevin Sullivan's influence that had convinced him to turn on Hogan, and when Avalanche, formerly the WWF's Earthquake, debuted in November 1994, the trio would form the Three Faces of Fear. The group would be unsuccessful in its attempts to defeat Hulk Hogan in late 94 and early 95 and would disband when Hogan began feuding with Vader, Sting began feuding with Avalanche and Sullivan and Butcher had a protracted breakup which ended when Sullivan attacked the Butcher. Supposedly gaining amnesia from the attack, 
The Butcher would become the man with no name mm-hmm. and face off with Kevin Sullivan at Slambury on May the 21st. Sullivan would win the match, after which a mysterious man appeared on the big screen and encouraged Sullivan to come speak with him, re Hulkamania. <laughs> Sullivan would run through the crowd and leave the arena. The mysterious man was The Master, a.k.a. King Curtis Iakea, a former WWF tag team champion and owner of one of the grimmest foreheads in wrestling. Yeah, mm. I, I can't think of many that I've seen that are that. He's definitely Dusty awful. Rhodes' sort of top-level mm. Nasty forehead. On the June 3rd edition of WCW Saturday Night, a vignette was shown of Sullivan running through some sort of forest looking for the dungeon until the master seemingly teleported him there. I've seen this. It is amazing. On the June 17th show, Sullivan spoke with the master and told him that Hulkamania couldn't be defeated. So the master turned Sullivan into the Taskmaster, which basically amounted to painting a bit of his forehead and giving him a brand new tracksuit with Go Faster stripes. It's very snazzy. It's not easy word. The master would go on to provide the taskmaster with a number of warriors. On June the 24th, he received Kamala. On July the 9th, the former avalanche appeared as the shark. John Tenter would go so far in this gimmick as to attempt to change the tiger tattoo on his shoulder to that of a shark. Six months later, he would probably regret that. Mm. On July the 15th, Ed Leslie reappeared as the Zodiac. The gimmick being now that he had face paint and only said yes and no in some sort of proto-Daniel Bryan gimmick, perhaps. Mm. The giant was revealed to be a part of the Dungeon of Doom on July the 22nd, and Meng would join in September with his awesome dragon head. Not really a a troop of warriors, is it? Yeah, I was was wondering about the use of that word. Yeah, Brutus Beefcake is not really what I'd be a warrior. Kamala's the king of the jungle, mate. Of course he is. There would also be a brief alliance with Vader, but he would turn on them and side with Hulk Hogan before disappearing for good before full brawl. So who was responsible for all of this madness? I'm going to guess Hulk Hogan. I'm going to guess Meng. (laughs) Well, that would be WCW's booker at the time, Kevin Sullivan. Okay. In an interview with WWE.com late last year, Sullivan would claim that the angle was tongue-in-cheek and that it was booked to get Hogan to trust him. He said that he could see that Hogan didn't fit in with the WCW style. Sullivan said that he knew at the time that there were places Hogan was being booed and that when the NWO angle came around, Hogan trusted Sullivan enough to go along with the decision to turn heel. Okay. You've seen a lot of the vignettes, Adam. I love it. Um, It's, It's shit but it's so shit that I really like it. I, I definitely feel that, that that's where this heads into the it's so bad it's good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it really has gone so far. Although I think I think time helps. I think if I was watching this in 1998, for example, I would just think it was lame, but it's 2014 and I think this is the best thing I've ever seen. Were you watching it three years after it happened? or No. <laughs> you said 1998. This is 1995. No, but like I'm saying, like if, if oh, there's right, a sort okay. of gap. Yeah. I, I did choose the year deliberately. I didn't. Uh, I, I thought it was a, an, an error. No, no. <laughs> okay, fair enough. While this event technically doesn't have a dark match, what it does have is four matches aired before the show on WCW main event. Think of it as their version of Sunday Night Heat from the late 90s. Hmm. The results were Eddie Guerrero defeated the Disco Inferno. Oh, the Disco Inferno. Who is the Disco Inferno? Adam, take this one. I've seen a bit of the Disco Inferno when Stuart's been doing his research, which involves watching loads and loads of nitros that build up to Halloween Havoc. He essentially looks like a slightly pudgy John Travolta who comes out in a white suit and dances to disco music in the style of Saturday Night Fever. That sounds great. But he does it during other people's entrances. Yeah, he got his ass kicked (laughs) by a hawk earlier. (laughs) That's good. 
I swear at some point they also claimed like that his theme song is like a number one hit disco single, <laughs> which I'm sure it probably wasn't. But I, I do find it amusing. And again, I don't know whether it's one of these things that we're looking back 20 years and now it seems amusing or whether it would still be funny at the time. Paul Orndorff defeated the Renegade. Oh God, the Renegade. Yeah, that's their bad Ultimate Warrior ripoff. Okay. He's but, terrible. But at this point, Paul Orndorff does have the wonderful Mr. Wonderful theme. Which is amazing. Chris Benoit and Dean Malenko defeated Steve Regal and Robert Eaton. I bet that was amazing. Who's Robert Eaton? Bobby Eaton, tag okay, wrestler yeah. from the Midnight Express. Yeah. And finally, Sergeant Craig Pittman beat VK Wall Street. Oh, my my favourite. Following interference from Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, I bet that oh, was the favourite. I bet that was the worst thing ever. You've seen a bit of Sergeant Craig Pittman as well, haven't you, Adam? Not a fan, I've no, got to say. he's not great, but... And obviously, I'm not a fan of Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and I'm not really a fan of IRS, so... Or even the IRS. <laughs> <laughs> it's Sunday, October the 29th, 1995, and we are live from the Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit, Michigan, in front of a crowd of 13,000, although only 7,000 actually paid to get in. Ooh... Yeah, that's that's a lot of free seats. The event drew a 0.6 buy rate on pay-per-view for a company gross of $1.74 million. The buy rate was down from last year's 0.97 and was the lowest buy rate for a Halloween Havoc to date, but it was up from WCW's previous pay-per-view buy rate of 0.48 for Fall Brawl 1995. So, uh, so even with like all these awesome promos and the massive build-ups to this, it's still not getting big buys? No, no, it's not. That's that's worrying. I can't help but feel like they've just spunk loads of money up the wall with this one because it looks like it cost loads of cash. It probably did. Yeah. I know we've, we're have we looking back on it now and we'll actually bizarrely be quite complimentary of this pay-per-view, <laughs> I think. Yeah. But at the time, Hulkamania wasn't working. Again, Adam, you've seen on some of the Nitros, he's going to these cities and getting the fuck booed out of him. Yeah, I just like the way that he just... He soldiers on, though. He does. Even he just... though he's being booed to shit, he just carries on doing his same fucking routine. The moon is full. Motown's gone mad. Halloween Havoc is here. Two demons have emerged. The giant. He has a Jones for destruction. His motorcycle smashing. Back cracking. Bone crunching. Neck choking rampage has opened the ghastly gate for the man who would not, could not stay down. WCW World Champion Hulk Hogan has crossed over to the dark side to take on the evil powers in their own eerie world. Shudder to think about their monster drugs locked up in a sumo-style showdown. If survival is possible, they will then be hauntingly close when they see each other eye-to-eye inside the fortress called The Ring. It will happen before your very eyes here at Halloween Havoc 95. We get a spooky opening. It's the giant versus dark side Hogan and then some Monty Python style moving monster trucks. It's amazing. I, I love the intro to this. It reminded me, you know, of going live or live in kicking. Yeah. Mm. Like a Halloween episode of that <laughs> as an intro. Really kind of childlike in terms of its tone and graphics and things, but I found it really entertaining. What did you think to Dark Side Hogan? Well, he's got a black t shirt on. He looks he looks incredibly <laughs> different without his moustache. I thought his chin looks a lot yeah, bigger without yeah. the moustache. It, 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 like, in retrospect, the moustache is a good idea. <laughs> it makes his face look better. That's probably why he's had it all this time. 
could well be one of the reasons. I it? did grow. I did actually grow a Hogan Tash really last year, didn't I? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for for November yeah, again. But I just thought it would be a laugh, and it turns out that it was. But you can't have serious conversations with anyone. <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing is, you, like, and if you smile, you look like a villain. Do you find you use the word brother a lot more? <laughs> and start shouting everything. No, but I was talking to like a, a couple of women in the office where I work, and they were saying to me, I'm talking to your moustache, not to you. <laughs> and they're saying it's a little bit like having like a massive pair of tits, and the guy, like- the, the guy that's talking to you just talks to your tits. But So in other words, a big moustache is like a pair of face tits. <laughs> That people just talk to. Okay. It's a surreal conversation. Our hosts are Tony Shivani and Bobby the Brain Heenan. It's very foggy in the background. Yeah, I noticed that, yeah. Apparently Hogan and the Giant are already on the roof revving at each other. This doesn't make any sense. Yeah, because it's like they're already going balls out on the roof. Yeah. And then it's like they they must just stop because their match isn't for like an hour and a half. They drive around, so one drives... Towards the other, the other one happens to reverse back at the same time, coincidence, and then they get out and they just go nip down to the locker room, have a cup of tea. Well, Hogan comes down, actually they both come down to cut promos, don't they? Yeah. And yeah. then go back upstairs. So it's, it's, it's very bizarre. I've got to say I was slightly disappointed not to see Bischoff on the announce team. Yeah. from watching some Nitros, I quite like Bischoff's commentary. It's pretty good. So I was, I was a bit undecided about Tony Schiavone. You get a bit of Bischoff commentary during the Monster yeah, Truck do. match. Yes. Which is gold. Yeah. What did you make to Tony Schiavone's commentary? It was all right. He's got some interesting way of pronouncing words, some that I like. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, Brian Pillman and Arn Anderson have attacked Ric Flair backstage, dastardly. <sighs> that is. They really hate each other. Yeah, they're definitely, definitely not in collusion. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of... A lot of build-up to this. A, a deep-seated rivalry. Our opening match is Johnny B. Bad versus Diamond Dallas Page for the WCW television title. This is our first look at Diamond Dallas Page, a.k.a. DDP. Page actually debuted as a wrestler in 1979. What? <laughs> but suffered a knee injury and gave up shortly thereafter. Page would go on to run a nightclub in Florida where tons of wrestlers hung out and would make a return to the wrestling business in 1988 as a manager for Bad Company, Paul Diamond and Pat Tanaka. You know them by another name, Adam? Paul Do Diamond. I? It, they would be the Orient Express. Ah, well. of course. You remember the one that was in the mask? Yeah. Yeah, that's because he's not from the Orient. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Page would also work as a colour commentator alongside legendary announcer Gordon Soley. Page would appear for the WWF at WrestleMania 6. Really? Driving Rhythm and Blues, the Honky Tonk Man and Greg Valentine, to ringside in a Cadillac that he owned. That's bizarre. Page would move to WCW in 1991, managing the fabulous Freebirds, who at that time comprised of Michael Hayes and Jimmy Garvin. Page, starting a stable known as the Diamond Mine, would also manage the Diamond Stud, a.k.a. Scott Hall, Vinnie Vegas, a.k.a. Kevin Nash, and Scotty Flamingo, a.k.a. Raven. Raven. He would also head to WCW's power plant at the age of 36 and begin training to wrestle himself, but would pretty much be a jobber before being released at the end of 1992. Becoming good friends with, and seeking advice from, Jake the Snake Roberts, DDP would return to WCW in December 1993, with his real-life wife Kimberly as his valet, named the Diamond Doll, and Max Muscle as his bodyguard. Page would be involved in an angle where he amassed a fortune winning arm wrestling contests, and at Fall Brawl 1995, Page would win his first title, defeating the Renegade to win the WCW World Television Championship. Well, it's, it's interesting. I mean, DDP is one of these names that I hear a lot about, yeah. but have 
literally seen probably one or two matches. I saw, I watched one that was recommended after we did our first WCW. Was that the Goldberg one? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Which I enjoyed. I thought it was quite yeah, good. Yeah, it was a really good match, though. And I think I saw like a tiny amount of him during the invasion angle. The less said about that, the better. Yeah. It was just all about him nicking The Undertaker's wife, wasn't it? Now, the thing I hated most about that angle is Undertaker's wife was skanky as you like. And if you'd seen any WCW, you knew what DDP's wife looked like. I remember you saying this, and I don't actually remember The Undertaker's wife being that bad, as you say. But but now that I've seen some WCW, yeah, DDP's wife is definitely better than whatever my memories are of The Undertaker's ex. How exactly did you feel about Kimberly, Adam? Yeah, she was all right. Well, you you posted a particular photo on Facebook. I did. And that got probably more more kind of likes on that than any other thing. Funny that. Had. Yeah. Maybe I should just start putting tits in all the photos. <laughs> yeah, I'd like all them. We'll move to sort of a softcore porn page. <laughs> we'll never tear out away from his computer. <laughs> and I think we'd lose scrivens in the process. Possibly. But yeah, big big fan of DDP, being as he seems to have the ability these days to save people's lives. Yeah, that's really cool. Mm. And 36? Yeah. I mean, most people are considered approaching the scrap heap by the time they're 36, aren't they? Yeah, he's just starting up. We see footage of Johnny B. Bad no-showing a US title match against Sting twice. Can you... Yeah, I guess you can be shown footage of a no-show, but it's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian Pillman takes yeah. his place anyway. Bad arrives late courtesy of a flat tyre and a lack of cell phones, being Mm. as it's 1995. DDP rips him for missing the match, but it turns out it's DDP's fault and Bad lamps him. Well, Max Muscle, I think, gives the game away. Following this angle, on the 16th of October Nitro, Page and Bad were scheduled to face off, but Page attacked Bad prior to the match and the bout never happened. Out first is DDP, Kimberly and Max Muscle. The set is a graveyard. Yeah, fair enough, it's Halloween. I quite like it. We also like the kind of the, the spider running across the screen. Yeah, the little match graphics are yeah. quite cool. Adam, you spotted something on one of the gravestones, didn't you? Yeah, one of them says Crockett. One also said Beloved, and I think it was an Elvis one. There was an R.I.P. one as well. Mm. Kimberly is hot is my next note. <laughs> yeah, I'll second that. And Adam's D- got another... No, he hasn't. <laughs> <laughs> DDP doesn't have his Nirvana rip-off theme yet, and Johnny B. Bad's theme... Is different. The WWE Network have replaced it with something way less memorable. Yeah, I, I, I don't remember it. Bad attacks DDP from behind. The man in the aisle is a decoy. That was genius. I didn't see that coming. I, I thought this was a good opening. Yeah. Mm. Bad opens whipping DDP into the corner and he goes to the outside. Bad follows and nails Max Muscle and then DDP and Max Muscle together. Bangs their heads. Yeah. I want to know more about Max Muscle. Yeah, I don't really he? have a lot to say about him. He's just a low-carb jabron. <laughs> I'm guessing that his thing is that he's probably quite strong but quite stupid. Yeah. I I, I think he's bumbling. Put it this way, he ends up in the Dungeon of Doom. (laughs) In its latter stages. Seriously? Yeah. DDP and Bad brawl into the crowd quickly, and Bad puts a bucket on DDP's head before rolling him back into the ring. Where does this bucket come from? Well, it was was planted there. You asked me that. Henry Godwin's in the crowd. Did you not spot it? (laughs) But there was no slop. It's they just a very, it. it's oh. a very unusual thing to just have as a something in the crowd. Oh, we we, we missed that. We should we shouldn't be remiss. Diamond Dallas Page had a kind of glitter gun, yes. which he stole from Johnny B. Bad. Which yes, but he, he also didn't pop it in the ring because last time we did a WCW. Yes, the ring show, was full of everyone glitter. was covered in glitter for the rest of the pay per view. So this this time he fired it into the crowd. A much more sensible idea. 
arm drag and a drop toe hold by Bad and we settle down. Shivani tells us about DDP winning the lottery, but apparently it may have been Kimberly's. Not quite sure mm. what's going on there. I, I've got to say, I noticed in the early stages of this match that DDP was going for it with the selling. Yeah. It's a little bit Shawn Michaels-esque. Not to the same extremes, but he's, he's overselling quite a yeah, bit. Yeah, uh, for early on in the match, it was a bit cartoon. But not in a way to make his opponent look like a prick. No, no, it's not that bad. Uh, yeah, it was just on the right side of it, but but very noticeable. The match remains static for a while with DDP in an armbar. DDP makes his way out, but is caught with a falling crossbody by Bad for a two. Dropkick by Bad before he attempts ten punches in the corner, but DDP drops Johnny B. Bad on the turnbuckle. DDP takes over, keeping Bad grounded with stomps and knees, and Kimberly grades Paige's back suplex as a ten. Yeah, yeah, she's got this ten card. Is that, is that one of her gimmicks, is it she rates moves it's his gimmick that he has her do it right and obviously all of his moves are tens page with a pancake something akin to cesaro's neutralizer i thought yeah it kind of gets him up for a pile driver and then falls forward falls forwards yeah yeah. no no i don't like that i've got two notes here one of them is about max muscle i just said max muscle isn't good yeah i I thought he was embarrassingly awkward i think he's quite green at this point yeah. from what little i know of him. quite green like it's I, I don't know if what's the optimal shade of green is but he's it but also <laughs> I, I had a moment of clarity about who the ref was okay go for it right ref has corporate kane's face <laughs> mixed and this this is true you, you'll back me up on this corporate <laughs> kane's face with jimmy white the snooker player's hair from circa 1990 <laughs> Okay, then. So what's his actual name? I think you, you said... It's Nick Patrick. Nick Patrick. But in this pay-per-view, corporate Kane's face, Jimmy White's hair from 1990. <laughs> One thing I'll notice about the, the ref is that I would describe it as lazy counting. Oh, yes. it's awful. He was rubbish. I, I think I'm mean, just too conditioned to like the WWE sort of style of really thrash your hands on the canvas. Yeah. And he's just very, very tippy-tappy. Well, it's hard yeah. to hear. Yeah, particularly the first count. So the first one, which needs to be audible so you know where you are in the count, if you don't hear it, it makes two counts look like a one count, which takes away from the drama. Yeah, I see your Basic point. subtraction. <laughs> At WrestleNuts. <laughs> DDP holds bad in a chin lock and tries to get a DDP chant going. Doesn't work. He's a heel. Mm. But I thought it was quite a cool little yeah, thing. The, the, the crowd are pretty lukewarm for, for this whole match, really. I thought they come alive at the end, but... They do, but they did. I thought the, the pace was slower for the bulk of the opening yeah. than I really expected it to be. I thought it was quite variable. There were some nice spots in, in this. But, you know, a few rest holds and, and kind of just like stalling, buying a bit of time. It just takes away from the momentum of the match. Bad breaks out of the chin lock and gets a two off a backslide, but DDP hits a clothesline to remain on top. Bad and DDP exchange two counts before Paige hits a power slam for a two and goes back to the chin lock. Max Muscle gets up on the apron so that Paige can choke Bad with his wrist tape. We go back to a rest hold with a side headlock by DDP. Is there a bit there where it goes for some extra leverage as well? Yes, I believe there is. And I think I think that's the worst leverage spot that I've ever seen. There's one later on that's worse, isn't there, with Pillman and Arn Anderson? Maybe I'm getting them mixed up. But one was particularly bad. It was too close to the ropes to really make any difference. He was holding his hand. <laughs> <laughs> just, just being affectionate. Bad gets to his feet and drops Paige with a belly-to-back suplex. Paige seemingly goes for an elbow drop, but Bad rolls out of the way. Another one of those elbow drops that looks like it's just over-rotated and it wouldn't Mm, be an elbow drop by the time you got there. Bad gets an inverted atomic drop, then a regular one, and starts nailing Paige with fists. 
Head scissors by Bad and a double axe handle off the top rope brings the crowd to life. That that kind of portion of the match, actually, you're right, did bring the tempo up a bit. But, and the crowd did buy a bit, but they weren't hot. The, the atomic drops were met with some very, very comical selling. Yes. So I think that definitely helped. Yeah. Kimberly gives Bad a 10 before he covers Paige for a 2. That's controversial. <laughs> we get a sloppy-looking sit-down powerbomb by yeah, Bad for yeah. a 2. But a ropey powerbomb. Yeah, in fact, we both wrote ropey powerbomb. Because he doesn't land square on his back. He kind of no. lands, kind of I think, with his left shoulder first and then his right shoulder. Yeah, it, it doesn't look nice, does it? Symmetry is everything. Paige reverses a hip toss by Bad into the Diamond Dream, a sort of bulldog DDT type move. I've never heard or seen that move before. No, me neither. The ref counts both men down before Paige rolls Bad over for a two. DDP goes for the Diamond Cutter, but Bad holds on to the ropes and Bad pins for a two. Uh, I've got to say, as well as the lazy counting here, I think a lot of the kickouts are quite lazy. Right. They're kind of, you know, there's no emphasis in there. There's no kind of... Oomph. Pizzazz. Pizzazz. Yeah. Is that your word for this episode now? Yeah, that's going to be my snazzy word of the day. (laughs) Bad goes for ten punches in the corner again, but similar to earlier in the match, Paige begins to move him away. But this time, Bad clings to the ropes and scissors Paige to the outside. I do like little spots like that that call back to something earlier in the match. Like, Mm. he's wizened up. Is wizened a word? Wizened, no, that's Wizened, that sounds, doesn't sound right. <laughs> He's wised up to that tactic by DDP. I yeah. liked it anyway. No, it's good. Is this what he tries to do with the 619? <laughs> and botches it really badly. It's supposed to be a little sort of fake, isn't it? But he kind of falls over yeah. as he's doing it. Would, it yeah. would have been a fake if he hadn't been too big and not agile enough. But then he does dive to the outside, nailing both pages. Yeah, and that was possible. a good move. We We kind of both popped a little bit for that. Yeah, his flip over the rope I thought was dead good. Mm. And, it, and it, it was a good job because it eclipsed his previous falling over yeah. 619 thing. Bad nails the bad day coming back into the ring. That was his sort of slingshot twisting splash, which mm. was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Page kicks out at two. Bad goes to the ropes, but Muscle grabs Bad. Page almost charges into Max Muscle, but stops before Bad drop kicks DDP into his own bodyguard. Bad rolls up Page for a two, which the crowd does pop for. Page chucks Bad to the outside where Muscle attempts to shove Johnny into the corner post, but Bad blocks. Bad goes back into the ring where DDP grabs him in a full Nelson, ready for Max Muscle to clothesline him, but lo and behold, Page eats the clothesline himself. It's amazing how these guys just don't see those things coming. This is the one thing we didn't Didn't want want to happen. happen. But it's like they've never watched wrestling before. (laughs) Did, Did they not watch all those kind of Shawn Michaels Diesel moments? No, evidently not. Well, it's a crap clothesline as well. No, he's, he's awful. That's the thing. He's a big it's... guy. At least at least you should be able to do a clothesline and, and throw a punch and You can't do those two things. Johnny B. Bad clotheslines Max Muscle for good measure before pinning Paige to win the television title at 17.01. Kimberly seems pleased with the result. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's odd. Is this going places, this storyline? That angle does go places, yes. Okay. What did you make to the match anyway? I, I thought it was... Uh, my note down here is, is variable. Uh, there was moments that I definitely liked and definitely enjoyed. Probably a little bit too long, not as snappy as I would have liked early on. But it was okay, it wasn't awful. Yeah, see, I thought this was a pretty decent opener. It just needed five minutes worth of rest holds clipping out of the middle. Yeah, I, I reckon. well, I reckon this could have been a really good kind of 10, 
10 11 minute match rather than a slightly middling 17 yeah. minute match adam i'll kind of echo that a little bit it was a bit flat for you know perhaps two-thirds of the match and it probably is all those extended rest holds and things in it pace and the quality kind of picks up towards the end and it's quite a good finish to it but it was a bit laborious getting through that opening 10 minutes i must say i quite like both these characters yeah yeah i, yeah. I think these are these are interesting enough and probably as a feud, it'd be quite a decent feud to watch. Yeah. And again, complimentary of a Mark Merrow match. Controversial. I know, it's, yeah. it's odd. Like, I didn't, you know, I went into it thinking that... It was certainly the first time I saw Johnny be bad, thinking, hmm. And it wasn't bad. And, and well, it was against Regal, which helped. But this was good. Yeah. Well, well, this was average. <laughs> <laughs> Back at the announce table, Shivani and Heenan discuss the sumo monster truck match and the fact that this will be the Giants' first wrestling match. But his first wrestling match is in a sumo monster truck. Yeah, that, that kind of staple gimmick <laughs> of a match. You mentioned probably the brain Heenan there. And yeah. one of the things that we've just found out very recently, and this goes back to our second episode, which was SummerSlam... 93? 93, where there was a bit of commentary during a, a smoking guns match talking about what I thought was metal muffins. Oh, yeah. And I hadn't got a clue what they were. Somebody, and I, I really ought to look at their name and, and say it, but I... <laughs> I've my phone off. But somebody very, very kindly messaged us on Facebook and, and pointed out that he's actually saying meadow muffins. Right. Which is a term for basically cowpats. Right. So thank you, because I have been wondering that for a long time now. And nobody <laughs> got back, but it's meadow muffins, not metal muffins. Someone has clarified that yeah. for you. Our next match is Randy Savage versus The Zodiac. This match was scheduled to be Randy Savage versus Kamala. However, Kamala was only working on a paper appearance contract and WCW didn't want to offer him a full-time role, so he's gone from the company, ergo the replacement. Really? No more Kamala. <laughs> what? Why? He was just brought in as a sort of temporary thing, as a Hogan opponent, and yeah, they're just done with him. They don't want to offer him a full-time role. Is a bit rubbish. <laughs> Have you seen some of the other talent? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen a Kamala match? No, I haven't. You we'll, sure? we'll you have sh- to sit down you and watch, watch one. one. The entrances for this match, we get a witch for Zodiac and we get a ghost for Macho Man. Did you notice Zodiac actually has Rey Mysterio's WCW music? No, I did no. not, no. Mainly because I didn't know what that was. Yeah, no. Rey Mysterio will pick up that tune in about six months. And what's, yeah. that? What, what's that on his head? Is it like a tuft of hair or something? Well, I didn't know if, if that was like... Bit- if he was using like a small amount of Bull Nakano's hair product <laughs> to, to get that, because I thought... It actually looks like it's a bit of wood or something because it was so... Rigid. Pointy. Yeah. Well, I was going to say erect, but that's probably... Not the word. Not, not in front of Adam. My note here is just that he looks like a proper Wally. Yeah, that's true. A yeah. proper Wally. A proper yeah, you're Wally. you're right there. So Hogan's saying, yeah, it's all right, I've got, got your spot, mate. <laughs> <laughs> you are going to look like a twat, though. And you're only saying no or yes. He gurns on his way to the ring as well. Did you spot that? Yeah. I'm assuming in order to do this gimmick, you must be on something. His opponent is next, Macho Man Randy Savage. He gets a proper massive pop and some pyro. People love him. And he kisses some young lady on the way to the ring. Mm. He's trying to make Steph jealous. (laughs) Savage attacks Zodiac from behind before some fan makes his way into the ring. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to know more about this, but you, you didn't really. There have is much. no story. It's just some drunk guy trying to get in the ring. As far as the insanity of this pay per view goes, I thought it was perfectly legitimate that they'd have some fan come out and attack. But no, yeah. it was. I, I thought this un- was an angle. Yeah, no, I thought it's it was just a dude trying to get in the ring. The ref does a really good job of holding him off as well. Yeah, and yeah, then they, they clearly they take the action outside the ring, and the cameras just 
focus on them and then by the time we get back in yeah. the fans gone now I don't know if that's spoilt what was supposed to happen in the match or if it was just going to be a bad <laughs> match anyway <laughs> I thought the guy actually gets a massive pop as well. <laughs> it's Definitely to, yeah. top five yeah. of the night. <laughs> Heenan tries to pass it off as a monster pop for Savage. Back inside, Zodiac misses a splash off the top, so Macho Man goes to the top and hits the flying elbow for the three at one minute and 30 seconds. Yeah. I, I don't think it was from the top. I think it was from the middle rope. It wasn't a good elbow either. No. It was like Jeff Jarrett's from... That show that we... Was that SummerSlam 94? Something like that, where he did a few not very good elbows. Well, when when CM Punk was doing the Macho Man elbow, maybe this was the one that he took his... (laughs) Inspiration from. That's what he does. That's a pay-per-view match. That's Mm. terrible. Good job it was short, as Randy Savage has another match later, it would seem. Yeah, Yeah. keep him fresh. Why even put that on pay-per-view? I don't know. Match of the night? Give, (laughs) Give Beefcake a payday. Yeah, I guess. Bizarre, though. Yeah, you get the guy getting in the ring, they brawl to the outside for a bit, and then Savage gives him the elbow drop, and that's it. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was it was bizarre. I, I couldn't believe it was over. Thank you very much, Tony Schiavone, Bobby the Brain Heenan. It is a red-hot night here in Detroit. Halloween havoc up and running, and still a whole lot of entertainment to come. By the way, speaking of sizzling, the WCW hotline is absolutely sizzling tonight on option one. I overheard the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, talking to a man that he used to represent at another wrestling federation. I can't talk about it on the air. I certainly won't talk about it here on Halloween Havoc. However, I will talk about it tonight, along with Mike Today and Mark Madden, on the WCW Hotline at 1-900-909-9900. Folks, please, this is some very hot news. Give us a call, 1-900-909-9900. Speaking of hot news, as you know, we have a brand new world television champion a happy man here in the locker room i think i heard a couple of corks popping for yeah, you johnny you, B-Bad. there's gonna be a celebration in the motor city gene i've been telling everybody i promise the fans and i promise myself most of all all the tri- trials and tribulations all the adversity i tell these kids if you believe you can achieve and ever since i was a young boy i dreamed of the day i'd be wearing the gold and today i'm here to tell you and all those fans Dreams do come true. This is reality. The world television title. Diamond Dallas Page gave me everything. I took it all, Gene. You know, Diamond Dallas Page actually did not help his cause with the presence of this, this Max Muscle. And I, I must say, you're a tremendous uh, technician because you capitalized on some of the mental mistakes they made. Well, Gene, that comes from my intestinal fortitude. I never gave up, Gene. That's why I'm in the greatest professional sport in the world, World Championship Wrestling. I'm never going to quit. I'm never going to give up. I promise I'll always give 100%. I'm going to keep this beautiful belt. I'm a bad man. Johnny B. Wow. Johnny B. Bad, don't run away. I want you to come on in here. You and I are going to go down to, to Greek Town tonight, and, and maybe I'm, I can I'm help buying, you. Something. I'm buying you dinner tonight, Gene. No, I'll tell I you what I'm going to do. In, 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 in honor of your Tutti Fruity, I'm going to sing Tutti Fruity in the key of C down at Pegasus tonight. I'd like to hear that, Gene. Okay. You know I got a front row seat for that one. All right, we'll have a little Greek food, a little moussaka, perhaps some gyros, and some good times. Johnny B. Bad oh, is absolutely Whoa. delighted because, once again, he is the World Television Champion here at World Championship Wrestling. All right, Tony, Bobby, gentlemen, back to you. Backstage with Mean Gene, who plugs the WCW hotline. However, the phone number is no longer active and was apparently never active in Canada. Oh. Hmm. It said that at the bottom, not available in Canada. Johnny B. Bad joins Mean Gene. He cuts a Dusty-esque babyface promo about dreams coming true. He does some shouting and says he's a bad man. And they're going to go out for dinner 
and Gene is going to sing Tutti Fruity. I really like this. I thought this was actually very entertaining. I loved this because... Because I'm a bad man, shouting. Yeah. So he does that, and it kind of feels like it's finished. But, oh no, he comes back and arranges a date with me yeah. and Gene. It's, it's a proper Monday, and they discuss they're going to have, like, moussaka and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's just very random. But no, it was really good. It's sad we didn't get that skit at the yeah. end of the pay-per-view. But, but That's you, how it should have finished. But that, when you think that WWE, a few years later, they'd have run with that. That would have been, been, yeah. that that been a network yeah. exclusive. Definitely worth nine ninety nine. How'd you download the app? I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Our next match is Road Warrior Hawk versus Kurosawa. Anything you know about him? No, no, I asked and you wouldn't tell me. Kurosawa, real name Manabu Nakanishi. Good name. <laughs> is a former Olympic wrestler Ooh. who debuted for New Japan Pro Wrestling in late 1992. It's actually somewhat of a tradition in New Japan and Japanese wrestling in general to send young wrestlers abroad to learn their craft. See Kenta in ROH in 2005 or Okada in TNA in 2010. Partly, I think, sometimes it's a way to humble them. Here you are, go work in TNA. See how you like that. (laughs) So Nakanishi was sent to WCW and renamed Kurosawa and given Colonel Robert Parker as a manager. At Clash of the Champions 31, Kurosawa teamed with Meng against Sting and Road Warrior Hawk. After the bout, Kurosawa put Hawk in an armbar and supposedly broke his arm, although in reality Hawk just had an arm injury and the angle gave him time to recover. Uh, I'll tell you what, he did, did a champion job of selling that. Yeah, which is odd because I've never seen him sell anything ever. He was, <laughs> it was proper, just like rolling around the ring. Where's Animal? Yeah. He's had a back injury and he's been out of action since 1992. He'll be back soon. Oh, wow. I didn't realise he'd be out for that long. Yeah, he cashes in on one of those Lloyds of London insurance policies, like Rick Rude and Kurt Hennig had for a while. Which means he can do nothing and still get paid. Basically, yeah. yeah. So we see the footage, yes, of Kurosawa breaking Hawk's arm and really interesting to see him selling. Mm. Not something you're used to at all and seemingly quite good at it, at least selling broken arms. Kurosawa enters along with Colonel Robert Parker. Shivani tells us that WCW is the number one wrestling promotion in the entire universe. I, I don't know of that many wrestling promotions outside of Earth, so that, <laughs> that kind of expansion, I think, was unnecessary. Hawk is out next, and he gets a spider for his graphic. Yeah. Have we all noted down sort of the different graphics that people I gave, got? I gave up after a while. I, the, the novelty was great for about yeah. the first three, and then I got a little bit bored. Did what? you draw any of them, Adam? I didn't, but I did notice that, obviously, if you got a bit bored with them, I reckon the graphics department got a bit bored with them as well because they started getting less. I, I right. think, I think didn't they, most people just get ghosts after this? Kurosawa had a bat, didn't he? We do get some odd things a bit later, I think. We get some great hair from Kurosawa. Was that a good one? It's stunning, really, because I think, obviously, he's got, like, the oriental hair it's very very straight so he's able to do a little more with the mullet in terms of you know refining its its positions how did you feel about the haircuts overall on this show really really good i mean uh, there's uh, there's a lot that could be said about johnny b bad and and ddp as well but i don't want to weight this podcast down with talking about haircuts what about kimberly yeah hair was dead good as was the rest of her Suffice to say that there are some stunning hair pieces on display. Hawk attacks to open with a shoulder block and a neck breaker, where he struggles to kind of get Kurosawa in position. I don't know if it was a bit of lack of understanding there. I'm going to say this. This was quite stiff. Yeah, as you'd expect, really. Yeah. Hawk covers for a pair of two counts. Big chops and punches by Hawk, and Hawk misses a charge in the corner, and Kurosawa tries for his arm, but Hawk blocks and hits a gut-wrench suplex, Mm. which was quite lovely. Yeah, just... But talk about like throwing him around, like Kurosawa. I don't know what he weighs, but he must be a reasonably 
I'd say two sixty, two seventy. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not a small guy, and he was just lobbing him around like a piece of candy. Power bomb by Hawk before Parker grabs Hawk's leg, and Curacao hits a body slam and then misses an elbow off the top rope. Hawk decapitates Kurosawa, clotheslining him to the outside, <laughs> yeah. and then diving clotheslines Parker off the apron. Yeah, this, this was an interesting little spot. Parker's an old guy, isn't he? Yeah, yeah pretty old. He takes the bump. You yeah. know he's still like ripped now. He's like 70-something, really? Robert Parker, yeah. Tennessee Lee. Yeah. Mm. Back inside, Kurosawa hits a back body drop and a Samoan drop for a two. When Parker holds Kurosawa's foot on the rope so Hawk can't get up for the three at 3.15. Hawk immediately pops up and the heels leave. No, no, I, I liked what was the, that move called? It was kind of like the, the one on his back. Samoan drop. It wasn't a normal Samoan before that. No, was, I, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was like he had him. He ran at him, flipped over, and he was on his back. It was almost like a backwards kind of pile driver. Okay. It was a great move. That was my favourite move of the match. It's one of my favourite moves of the evening, but I didn't know what it was called. I don't think they called it on commentary. But again, it, it's too short, really, to be anything. My note just says too short to be good. Yeah. They want not... you to pay for these matches? Well, the, the thing is, take five minutes off the opening match, yeah. make that match better, and this had promise. Or yeah. cut out one of these little short ones you get yeah. and just have a ten-minute match. I'd actually really be interested in seeing like a 10, 15 yeah, yeah. match between these two. Yeah, just beating the shit out of each other. Hawk celebrates on the ropes yeah. for no reason. <laughs> that was odd. And, and one of the things that, that uh, this was the first time I noticed it in this payfee, but it happens a lot later on, is this throwing of trash at, at the heels. Yes. On the way in and out. It seems a bit rowdy and a bit disrespectful. You'll have words with that crowd. I don't know if, if they'd listen. I think some of them might be drunk. All right, uh, Tony and Bobby, I've got a man that is pacing the floor. He won his match earlier over Zodiac from the Dungeon of Doom. Now, if Lex Luger happens to win his match... A little bit later on against Ming, the face of terror from the Dungeon of Doom. That means that Luger and the Macho Man, Randy Savage, will indeed be meeting here at Halloween Havoc. And certainly that stimulates your interest in that Luger-Ming match. One down, one to go. And you know what? I beat the Zodiac, yeah. And we had even a little audience participation, yeah. Because I'm wild, yeah. And I'm going to tell you something, Hulk Hogan. I heard what you said about me a few days ago, yeah. And I don't think that you can separate business from friendship. I'm your friend. But if I ever see you in the ring, I can beat you. Don't you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Randy Savage, I know you are. Your mustache is crooked. Your beard is a little sideways, too, but I don't want to get into that. I'm not going to take personal pot shots at you or anybody else. That's not my nature. Get in line, everybody. I'm a little better guy than that. I don't mind telling you. I'm a bigger man. Cool. Well, how did we get into this? That's okay, man. Very curious. I'm going to take Lex Luger because I know he's going to beat Ming because I'm going to make sure he does. Can, can, can we just uh, get away from the subject of the, the Luger uh, potential Randy Savage match? I want to ask you one other question because everywhere I go, people are talking about these two monster trucks that are going to be colliding here a little bit later on. The giant in the Dungeon of Doom truck and your good friend Hulk Hogan in the Hulkster's monster truck. My curiosity is killing me just like a cat would be killed by the curiosity. Yeah, because of the fact machine versus machine and man versus man doubled and tripled by the exposure of the WCW Heavyweight Championship belt. Don't you think I have a little bit of interest right there? Friendships, friendships, business is business. Hulk Hogan already threw the line in the sand. I'm just following it up. 
Yeah. All right, we're going to be watching I'm very closely. Be a participant, and I'm going to be watching too through the video scope. Yeah. Thank you, the Macho Man Randy Savage. He is one of a kind. Let's get you back inside Joe Lewis into the ring. Gene is backstage with the Macho Man. Macho discusses the audience participation in his match and addresses Hulk Hogan talking about him. Savage, out of nowhere, tells Mean Gene his moustache is crooked. <laughs> this was a great promo. This was a great promo. Adam, do you want to tell us about this? It was just mental. He was just screaming and shouting things. I don't really have any yeah. notes about what he said. Yeah, I, just, I couldn't tell I what he said. A, I, I, but it was I, amazing. I have a distinct feeling that I was left impressed and scared. Gene asks Macho about the monster truck match, and he says something about cats. <laughs> curiosity killed oh, yeah. the cat, which is my curiosity, the which killed the cat, cats. Yeah. or something yeah. to that effect. I mean, I must say, kind of, you know, there's that kind of Randy Orton backlash 2004 when it gets slammed into something, and he kind of sits his up, face. and he's yeah. got he's got the face, and he's kind of doing that shaking thing. That's kind of what Adam looked like during during this match. <laughs> <laughs> Was this everything you've ever wanted a wrestling promo to be, Adam? It was kind of spot on. This is the template that everything else should be modelled on. Macho Man promos are amazing. (laughs) They make no sense whatsoever. And fuck Vince McMahon for thinking Macho Man was past it. Yeah. He's denied us this. Mm. Our next match is Mr. JL versus Sabu. Sabu, we saw on the Raw vs. Nitro episode, but Mr. JL is... Jerry Lynn. I I sussed this out from his cryptic name. (laughs) What a rubbish name for, like, a luchador-type character as well. Mr. JL. Yeah. Mm. Sounds like a rapper. It does, but just a shit one. It's like the precursor to (laughs) Jay-Z. Maybe. Heenan speculates what his name stands for, obviously, you know, they've never asked him what his name is. Yeah, JL. He's done time. Jail. Oh, I see what you did there. JL is out first anyway. Sabu follows next with the original Sheik. I said uh, JL's got a, a black ghost as his graphic and Sabu's got a white ghost. Mm. So does that mean that Sabu's the good guy? No, he's the heel. Oh. The, the original Sheik has some kind of sword. Or cutlass. Yes. Sabu charges the ring but gets an enziguri from JL. JL slides to the outside and Sabu rams him into the barricade before hitting an acai moonsault on both JL and clipping the Sheik round the head. That was very so cool. probably kicked him round the head, yeah. JL ducks a dive off the apron by Sabu, and Sabu totals himself before JL hits a crossbody off the top rope. That that move by Sabu was like, he does just have no care about Regard. his body. Yeah. Back inside, Sabu misses a moonsault, but JL hits one for a two. JL with a sit-down powerbomb for a two. Definitely better than the Johnny V. Bad oh, DDP yes. version. JL misses a charge in the corner, and Sabu hits a springboard leg drop into the ring, for a two. JL German suplexes Sabu off the top for another two count. JL heads to the top, but Sabu catches him and hits a victory roll off the top rope for a two count. Oh, that was that, yeah, was, that was pretty good. sick looking, wasn't it? JL dropkicks Sabu to the outside as Sabu ascends to the top turnbuckle. Sheik's just standing there with his sword. <laughs> <laughs> Sabu with a split-legged moonsault for the three at 3.25, and kind of off-camera, JL gets a fireball for his trouble from the Sheik. Yeah. At this point, I'm just wondering, what the fuck is going on with this card? Well, this this was so bizarre, because I, I was quite looking forward to this match when I kind of sussed out it was Joe Lynn, I thought, Joe Lynn, Sabu, this will be interesting. But my notes for this match go, flying around, reckless, spot fest, no story. 
but another match that is less than five minutes. And yeah, it was it was interesting stuff in the match to watch. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's a bunch of unconnected spots just sprinted through quickly. Yeah, and it's it so hurts. I mean, I I really wanted to like this match because they do do some good moves, but the fact that there's no selling in it really and there's nothing behind it really hurts it but yeah I feel quite bad for not liking it more but I wonder if they just had a conversation before they went out and just decided that we had all this stuff set up for like a 12 minute match we'll just put all the same stuff but into a 5 minute match it does. See it, what happens. it does feel like it's, it's, like, it's like concentrated wrestling. yeah that's a good way of putting it it does feel like a 10 minute match condensed down but we'll delve into this the more we go into the card but th- it's weird there's like a few 17 minute matches on this show and then there's a few sort of one to three minute matches but all the three minute matches are back to back after each other mm. yeah so and it's, it's just really odd you get this portion of the pay-per-view that's just like bolts through the matches yeah. so fast really very odd yeah jl will stick around for a little while until kind of early 96 sabu will have his last appearance the following evening on nitro oh wow oh, this is right yeah. near his end yeah he goes just goes back to ecw Solomon, my son! The moon is full over Detroit, Michigan! The stars, Solomon, are lined up and the great Milky Way is ready for you, my son. In Tokyo, Japan, in Peking, China, it's the start of another day. They say, Solomon, my son, that there will be a total eclipse of the sun today around the world because Solomon we are here right here now and tonight you will walk upon the galaxies because your giant and the insurance of the Yeti you will destroy Hulkamania around the globe. Hogan, in Detroit, we brought the insurance policy. It is written from the bones of Anaris. A giant shall lead us for the next century. Hogan, when you put on the black, the evil that lies inside of you is now out of control. The monster truck, there's nothing you can do about that when it's tinged on. The Dungeon of Doom truck is the strongest of them all. And Hogan, you don't have a friend in the universe. Sting, Luger, and Savage are all vultures clicking at your heels. Tonight, Hulk Hogan, Detroit Lightning does not strike twice in this universe. Shivani and Heenan talk more about Hogan, the Giant, and the Dungeon of Doom. We go to the Taskmaster's Lair, which is apparently just in the aisleway. <laughs> and it has a sort of wobbly graphic that says the Dungeon of Doom. Yeah. We get a promo by Sullivan and the Master. Sullivan, my son. 
Actually, I believe that the master is the template for all promos. Yeah, this was gibberish as well, but I liked it. <laughs> but I, I don't think, because I've seen quite a few of these Dungeon of Doom things with the master in it. Yeah. He doesn't say any words. He shouts everything. While as some some people who are a bit shouty in the promos will we'll say, say, say something and then you know ramp it up to shout and then there's, there'll be a bit of a dynamic. Yeah. He just yells everything at maximum volume. It's brilliant. Great Do you think stuff. we should just shout everything with that with that an entire podcast of shouting? The rare white Bengal tiger <laughs> approaches the ring next. <laughs> I don't know, something like that. We should have a Dungeon of Doom promo contest where you just have to shout about etched in stone and rare white Bengal tigers and Scrivens, my son. Ending Hulkamania. Ending Hulkamania, yeah. I've also worked out who the master actually is. It's Father Jack from Father <laughs> oh, yeah, Ted. Yeah, yeah. Drink! It's just a sort of odd-looking old man in a chair that never seems to move out of it. No, you don't You don't see it? I, yeah, I can see it. Although I think Jack was more brief in his yeah. rantings. <laughs> Normally <laughs> confined to just shouting drink or arse. It, or feck. The, the, yeah. This would be amazing, though, if, if another one of the de- Dungeon of... I was going to say de- de- Demon of Doom. Another one of the Dungeon of Doom was Father Dougal. <laughs> That'd be amazing. <laughs> this real kind of, you know, dimwit that they had to explain everything to and would get it wrong. That would be brilliant. Is that not Brutus Beefcake? Well, <laughs> I, I think that's um, Muscle. Max Muscle. Max Muscle, his role. They have some great members of the Dungeon of Doom later on. Braun the Leprechaun is a personal highlight. <laughs> yes, you show me one of his matches, yeah. It's not an actual Leprechaun. It's not Hornswoggle. It's just a slightly yeah. short bloke he's with an, dyed a, ginger hair. He's a normal-sized guy who dressed up like a Leprechaun. And he runs around biting people. Yeah, it's terrible. So the, the, you say the Master leaves. This is. I'm pretty sure this is the Master's last appearance. And how much longer does the Dungeon exist in some sort of form? Mid-97? Wow. Paul's face then just shot up. Like, this is so ridiculous. If this lasts any more than, like, another day. <laughs> <laughs> is it Sullivan running it all? Sullivan and another person that joins it later in this show are kind of the focus after this. And the master doesn't really get referenced again. And there's, sadly, there's no more skits inside the Dungeon of Doom's lair. Oh. Yeah. So it's, it's not hot. It's not hot, you're right. Sullivan shouts a bit less, but he's still shouting, about Hogan having no friends. The crowd boos, and I'm not sure it's anything to do with this promo. It feels a bit too random. Mm, I don't know. Mm. Back to the announcers as they stall for time as they roll the master's chair out of the aisleway. <laughs> Is this where there's, there's just some mention? I forget who says it. But I've just written down, giant big man hurts your neck when they're talking about the giant. Possibly, yeah. But that was I think that was just like just a standalone comment within whatever else they were talking yeah. about. I've got written down total eclipse of the heart. Okay. I don't, oh, really, I don't really know what that no, is. No, I, I think you were saying that that should be... I think someone um, said totally clips of the... Yes. And they were saying son. Was it the yes, master? The master, like, yeah. yeah. He's a totally clips of the... And I was yeah. hoping he was going to say heart. You, well, you were hoping <laughs> it was going to burst into the song. <laughs> Bonnie Tyler's in the Dungeon of Doom. <laughs> She'd be great in that'd the Dungeon be, of that'd Doom. That'd be a good swerve. You think she's a face. Yeah. But no, she's siding with And, Kevin and then who else would they get? Kate Bush. <laughs> New inductees into the Dungeon of Doom, and, Bonnie um, Tyler and Kate Bush. And who else? They'd have to have a third. Gina G? No. <laughs> She's a bit more 90s. Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> Shivani tells us the Yeti is here. 
I just wonder, who the fuck has told him to pronounce it like that? I don't care, but I like it. I don't know if I should be talking, Tony, to my insurance agent, or if I should uh, try to get a hold of Kelvin Sullivan. I need an interpretation on uh, what the master just happened to say. Now, joining me at this time, ladies and gentlemen, the winner of the WCW Harley-Davidson sweepstakes is Mike Hill from Coleman, Alabama. Congratulations. I'm also joined by Tony Carlini, also the lovely Doris Taylor, who is part of Carlini's California Connection, and the world heavyweight champion Hulk Hogan, along with Mike's fiance. I should point that out for the record. And I understand you're going to make Hulk the official presentation. Well, you know something, brother? Going into this Halloween havoc, it was really important that I was on a roll, brother. And the fact that Maniac Mike won the Harley-Davidson, brother, just kind of gives me that little extra edge I need, brother, because he's already told me how he's getting back to Alabama. You can ask him that later. It gives me that little extra edge to know that the Maniacs are on my side. And, you know, as I present Maniac Mike with the keys, brother, we got somebody called Cadillac Jack, Tony Carlini in the back, brother. He's the best Harley Davidson builder around, brother. He's blowing all those California boys away. He's got his first shop right here in Detroit, Michigan, brother. And I think if I bend Carlini's arm a little bit, Maniac Mike, he might have to put a little bit extra chrome on that thing. How about it, Cadillac Jack? What about it, Tony? I'm sure we can accommodate him. Doris Taylor, our manager here for Detroit Store. All right, I'm going to get Doris uh, up front and center here so we can see her smiling face. Doris, tell us what uh, Carlini's has in store for our winner, Mike Hill. Well, Mike... First, I'd like to congratulate you on winning the Harley-Davidson. We've put together an apparel package for you here, some sweatshirts, T-shirts, and a hat. And also back at our store in Redford, we have an exhaust system, some Carlini paint savers, and a Carlini torque arm. We'd like to invite you back to the store to pick it up and take it back with you. Again, thank you. All right, terrific. I could probably use an extra exhaust pipe. Hulk Hogan, I want to point out for the record that this Harley-Davidson, if I go back six or seven weeks, means a great deal to you and it make all culminate here tonight. Well, you know something, brother. The little Hulkamaniacs gave me one just like that. And at the time, I said, it'd be a beautiful thing if we gave one away to a Hulkamaniac so we could ride side by side, brother. So, you know, I just want to touch the seat to remember how it felt, brother. And that's the last thing I'm going to touch lightly tonight, brother, because later on, man, just like Maniac Mike said, he's going to ride that sucker all the way back to Alabama. I'm going to ride that giant through the straddle of the night, brother. And when he starts huffing and puffing and running out of gas, I'm going to squash him just like he squashed my HD, brother. All right, uh, Doris, speaking of touching seats, uh, are we do- have anything special here? I, I think I caught her on that one. That's a little inside hey, problem. I got Cadillac Jack in the highwayman watching my back, brother. I ain't worried about nothing. You get that right? I've got, I've got that. Yeah. Monster truck competition still to come here. I want you to stand by. Uh, our winner once again from Coleman, Alabama yeah. is Mike Hill. Mike, congratulations to you. Now, how are you going to get this Harley from Detroit to Coleman, Alabama? We're going to straddle it and ride that sucker all the way back home. I love to hear that. How about that? We've got a big crowd on hand. Jimmy Hart, I want to thank you. Doris Taylor. And, of course, uh, Tony Carlin. Uh, thanks a million for coming here. And the California Connection and WCW Heavyweight Champion Hulk Hogan, you still have got a lot of business to conduct yet here tonight. Brother, first it's machine against machine. I'm going to push that giant right out of the circle, brother, and then I'm going to take him in the ring and lay him next to his father right here in Detroit, brother. Mean Gene is backstage with Hulk Hogan, Jimmy Hart, and some people who apparently won a Harley-Davidson sweepstake. Hogan cuts the guy's promo for him about winning the bike, <laughs> which was nice. And yes, he does look weird without his mustache. 
The guy has also won a hat, a T-shirt, and some other motorbike shit. Did he win that woman? No, she was like his silent fiance. Yeah, wasn't she? like everybody else spoke and, but and got a turn, but she just like stared at the camera. But she's like central to the shot. Yeah, she's thing. central. Like, she's like, you're the eye candy. You stand there and just stare <laughs> like holes at the camera. Yeah. I've kind of got noted down that she looked considerably younger than Mike, who's won all this stuff. She does. He's right. Yeah, my, my note just says Mike, sex offender, with Hogan. <laughs> you can't say that. He might be a very reputable man. With his teenage fiance. <laughs> the, the point still stands. Just because he looks older than, than his... 20 years or... older than his teenage bride, yes. <laughs> Scrivens has given up. <laughs> like, what... I don't know how your mind works. I think Hang on, I got must, that wrong. You, you, you must on. have an idea by now. Hang on, I got that wrong. I don't know if your mind works. <laughs> Hogan plugs his two matches and says he's going to lay the giant right next to his father. So he's going to kill the big show and fly him to France. Well, he does I, kill I, the big show. I find it a little bit uncomfortable that they're banging on about the big show being Andre the Giant's legitimate son. Yeah, it's a bit in poor taste. A little really. bit, yeah. I mean, it's only been in the ground lot about three, three or four years, isn't yeah. it? So. We get a short promo video for World War Three and some more announcer discussion. Our next bout is Lex Luger versus Meng. This is what you've all been waiting for. Lex Luger matches. For this. Yeah. Out first is Meng, who has awesome music, but sadly not the big dragon head thing. Kevin Sullivan accompanies him and gets pelted with rubbish on the way down. <laughs> yeah, I told you. Luger takes ages to come out. And gets a decent face pop and his hair, Adam. It's glorious. If, there's, there's no other word for it. Well, there are other words for glorious. There's something called a thesaurus. <laughs> I did notice that our... Everyone's... Is, was this your other option for resplendent? <laughs> are you finished? I'll start again and then I'll see if I want to interject with something else. I did notice that everyone's had Halloween-based graphics, but yeah. Lex Luger's got this strange orangey potato face thing that comes under his... Do you think that's supposed to be a pumpkin? I don't... It didn't look like a pumpkin. <laughs> orangey potato. It's, 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 stre- it's stretched upwards. It's see, really see, tall. See, see this, is, this is strange how you can describe something, not know what it is, and me and Stuart both instinctively think the same thing. I'll get you a picture of it. It does get not look like a pumpkin. If Luger wins this match, he gets to face Randy Savage later. Hooray! Two Lex Luger matches. But also, like, here's your reward for winning one match get another match for no particular prize yeah pretty much shivani speculates that luger is in cahoots with the dungeon of doom while heenan says that the dungeon have never attacked luger which is bollocks it happened on the nitro <laughs> seven days before and he gets choked on by, by giant, the giant yeah. yeah what do you make of tony shivani i've got to ask you this in a minute there's points where he's all right and there's points where he's ridiculous he's not offensive isn't he? I don't think so. He's not worse than Vince. Yeah. Well... No, he's no, better than the, Vince. The, the, the biggest problem, and I mentioned this... What did we see where it was on it a little bit? Nitro. A nitro, yeah. It's how he looks at the camera. There's, there's oh. lots of shots where he's <laughs> on camera. And just looks really awkward. Yeah, well, he just doesn't know what's going on. It looks like he's got people talking into the headset again and he's just trying to listen. Luger attacks Meng to open and kicks him in the balls. Mm-hmm. It's a good opening. Luger awkwardly monkey flips Meng into the corner and Sullivan looks bored at ringside. There's just a shot of him <laughs> coughing 
and just sort of standing there. <laughs> Meng gets a small package for a two. The two men ram each other's heads into the corner before Luger clotheslines men to the outside. Sullivan helps Meng up. Right, I'm going to just tell you, I'm just interjecting here and there's a reason for it. I've written down for for this match, Dull, and I'm not sure it's worth doing a play-by-play of <laughs> because uh, it's not going to make it any better. Do you think we should just fast-forward to the end of this match? No, I think I'm just going to run through it as per normal. Be warned. How do you learn to watch a Let's Luger match? <laughs> you can't teach that. No. Luger follows to the outside and rams Meng into the ring post. Back inside, Luger focuses his attack on Meng's arm. And not sure why, really, on that, unless he's changed his finisher to the armbar. Meng takes the advantage, biting Luger's face, and the crowd chant USA for no particular reason. It's not really his gimmick anymore, is it? <laughs> Luger staggers Meng with punches, but misses a charge in the corner. Luger goes for a belly-to-back suplex, but Meng turns it into a crossbody for a two. Thought he's fairly agile for a guy his size. I quite like Haku. Shoulder breaker by Meng and some taunting for Booze. His shoulder breaker was nice. Yeah, his shoulder breaker was very nice. He also has a nice looking pole driver for a two as Shivani bangs on about the Yete. There was a bit in this where there was a shot where Meng does a chop on Luger, misses him by a clear metre, yeah. and Luger still reacts like he's been slapped in the chest. That's because he's so good at selling. Yeah, I was going to say, this is the biggest bit of selling that he's done. It's just awful. We get a chin lock by Meng before both men look for a crossbody, but Luger gets the best of it, before Meng takes back over with a belly-to-back suplex for a two. Meng throws Luger to the outside, and Sullivan just looks at him for a bit. (laughs) From inside the ring, Meng stomps Luger to keep him out. Despite a few minutes' rest, Luger is still gassed. Mm. His cardio hasn't improved in his transfer to WCW. Well, it's a good job they gave him a lengthy match. (laughs) Back inside, Meng stomps Luger in the chest. Luger tries to mount a comeback with shoulder blocks, but Meng no-sells it and continues his attack. Meng whips Luger to the ropes looking for a drop kick, but Luger holds on to the ropes. Meng rolls to the outside before Luger suplexes him back inside. Luger takes Meng down with a clothesline and then a back body drop. More clotheslines as Luger breathes heavy before nailing a power slam. Meng spikes Luger in the throat with something attached to his thumb. It's his golden spike, isn't it? And covers him, but Kevin Sullivan comes into the ring and love taps Meng, taking him off of Lex and giving Luger the match by DQ at 13-14. This literally was, he just brushes his toe against him. That was a visual representation of that Paul just did for us as well. It was like a slight flicking of his foot. Yeah, pretty much that was it. I've never seen a worse kick. Like, Paul Bearer kicks better than that. (laughs) It really confused me. I didn't understand why. No, it was... What's, What's my note there? Meng, I don't get that. Yeah, I don't get that. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I speak. Did you enjoy this match then, gents? No. It wasn't great. It was poor. Again. Some some sparks of positive things from Meng. Luger's what we've come to expect. But it just doesn't work that well. The thing is, as I said, I quite like Meng. And the, the, the bits where he's trying... But it's against Lex Luger. Again, I'm just going to delve into my thoughts on the pacing of this bloody card. Three matches that last less than five minutes. Then a 13-minute Lex Luger match with a bullshit ending. Mm. Uh, It was pretty much most Lex Luger matches. And I know I said previously that Luger looked more motivated in WCW. But you wouldn't have got that from this match. No. From King of the Ring 93, we discussed that he hasn't got 15 minutes worth of material. And he still didn't have 13 minutes worth of material here. But yeah. And the the ending is is just really odd. Sullivan just sort of comes in and just really, 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 really gently 
taps him with his yeah. foot. And the ref's like, no way, man, no way. <laughs> that's that's two, the end of the match. That's two out there. That was too extreme. You know, Tony and Bobby, I've got to say, some rather strange things are happening within the ranks of the Dungeon of Doom here tonight in Detroit, in the Motor City, at Halloween Havoc. The big man next to me is, of course, the 7-foot, 4-inch, 400-pound-plus giant. Let me set the table, if I may, for tonight, giant. Momentarily, we're going to see you and Hulk Hogan on top of the roof here at the adjacent Cobo Hall in your monster trucks in the machine versus machine competition. 3,000 horsepower between the two vehicles. I understand some 11 or 12,000 pounds. And certainly you've got to have some thoughts going into this one. Well, my thoughts right now, me and Gene, are very simple. Number one, if Hogan has the courage to show up, if he finds the heart to meet me on the roof of Cobo Hall, when we hook up, grill against grill, truck against truck, machine against machine, in that 100-foot diameter, it's not going to be big enough because I'm going to push him right clean off the roof. And if there's anything left, right out here, Joe Lewis Arena, Hulk Hogan, is going to end up giving me the world championship belt because I'm going to choke slam him right to the floor. Do you understand me? Look at that hand. You've got to be kidding me. Please, from now on, I'll hold the microphone, or you can hold it for that matter. Now, let's talk about something else. In the ring, as you alluded to, right here in front of a capacity crowd at Joe Louis Arena, WCW heavyweight champion Hulk Hogan, putting the title on the line after the monster truck competition against you quickly, sir. If he lives, i tell you one thing right now. Hogan is going to get the beating in his life. WCW Heavyweight Championship on the belt. Hogan, you're mine, and don't forget it. You understand me? All right, ladies ah. and gentlemen, the Giant is going to be meeting Hulk Hogan two times yet tonight here at Halloween Havoc. Machine versus machine, man versus man, Hogan and the Giant. Live from the Motor City. Let's get you back to the ring. Backstage with Mean Gene and the Giant. Giant rubs his hands and then grabs Gene's hand to speak into the microphone. He says he's going to push Hulk Hogan off the roof and then Hogan will give the Giant the WCW world title. If you've been pushed off the roof, you wouldn't be able to just get up and give somebody a title. You'd be dead. Yeah, you'd be dead. You might be. He does some shouting to finish. What did you make of his shouting, Adam? Not bad, actually. Because I've seen a few of the Giant's promos in various bits and bobs that you've been watching. I don't think he's too bad on the mic. He's, he's reasonable. I think it definitely helps to have people like Kevin Sullivan doing his talking for him. Yeah. But... He's, he's got his place, though, and he's got his things to say, and he does that quite well. Mm. He probably can't carry it himself, but... No, I mean, one of the things that we talked about, because we... I mean, you came in later on, but we were watching this together, Adam. We were talking about the big show's hair, or the giant's hair. Well, well I, I noticed that it looked like one of Adam's former girlfriend's hair. <laughs> Kind of agreed. Yeah, it did. What about it? the beard? Not the beard. Okay. She didn't have a beard. She wasn't seven foot. Not last time we checked. <laughs> <laughs> our next match is our only tag team match of the evening. It's Sting and Ric Flair versus Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman. As I'm sure you're all aware, Ric Flair and Arn Anderson have been on-screen allies, mostly as part of the Four Horsemen since the mid-80s. At Clash of the Champions 31 on August the 6th, Flair and Anderson faced off against Vader in a handicap match, with Vader winning after powerbombing Anderson. After the match, the two argued about the loss, with Flair leaving Anderson alone at ringside. I can't seem to find a real reason for these two feuding. That's kind of the only thing I can pin it on. Mm. It doesn't really seem enough, but 
There you go. At Fall Brawl on September the 17th, Flair and Anderson faced off in a big singles match, which Arn won, pinning Flair after interference from Brian Pillman, who had been in the crowd watching the match. A tag match between Pillman and Anderson against Flair and a partner would be scheduled for Halloween Havoc. Flair would ask Sting to be his partner for a number of weeks, with Sting continually turning Flair down, reminding Flair of the time the four horsemen had turned on him. Eventually, Sting would agree to team with Flair on the 14th of October episode of WCW Pro. On the 16th of October Nitro, Flair and Sting would defeat Arn Anderson and Brian Pillman by countout. Sting would go on to say that Flair's performance in the match had earned his trust and at Halloween Havoc they would be united against Anderson and Pillman. Exciting stuff. Um, I've got to say, I can't get excited for this. Why not? I'm quite excited to see Flying Brian Yep. because I've not really seen any Brian Pillman and I've heard good things. Yeah, I quite like Arn Anderson because he's got an amazing spine buster. Yeah, from... I quite like Sting from the uh, the Steiners episode, episode okay. five, I think. We yeah, did. but yeah, the, I was looking forward to it, and it disappointed me in the build up. Really, even before they kind of started, I wasn't as hyped as I should be. The the, the promo and the build up for this wasn't enough. Okay, fair enough. First out are Brian Pillman and Arn Anderson, apparently representing the Horsemen. Out next is Sting, and they've taken away his awesome theme. Mm. And they've given him some Tigger face paint. Yes, they have. They can't take away his awesome jacket. No, no that that's good. That's very good. Fiery and tassely. <laughs> it's sort of orange and black to go with his orange and black Tigger face paint. It's like a way better version of that one that Bam Bam Bigelow was wearing. Yeah, it very well could be. There's no Ric Flair to start either. Sting opens with Anderson as the crowd chant, We want Flair. Anderson gets Sting in a full Nelson and moves him towards Pillman, but Sting kicks Pillman away. Sting reverses the hold and drops Anderson, who rolls to the outside to regroup. Sting and Anderson lock up before a quick exchange, which sees Sting take the advantage with a bulldog to Anderson. Pillman enters, but Sting disposes of him. The horsemen regroup again. Pillman faces off with Sting on the outside as Pillman attempts to draw Sting into Anderson, but Sting is too smart for that and clotheslines the enforcer. Why exactly does Sting need a tag team partner here? I don't He's just making these two look like a pair of chumps. Because otherwise, there's nobody to hot tag. <laughs> but he doesn't seem to need a hot tag currently. But you always want a hot tag. Most matches do, yeah. We get some flair chants, which are pretty big from the crowd. Yeah. Pillman wants a handshake and Sting obliges, but then kicks Pillman and Gorilla presses him. I thought that was quite impressive from Sting. Mm. Good yeah, strength. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's if one of my notes is Sting's good. <laughs> is that it? Yeah. One of my notes is Sting is good. Yeah. <laughs> Were you two just sat next to each other copying each other's notes? I don't think so. We probably had a similar yeah, we, vein of conversation going on. We, we were sat kind of on, on other sofas. Not not even near each other, really. Not within touching distance. <laughs> the one of Adam's criteria about watching stuff with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Pillman tags on. Anderson takes the advantage... <laughs> Film attacks on. <laughs> That's it. Well, that was the sentence. <laughs> it's like nothing else happened after. Anderson takes the advantage with a boot to the gut, but Sting monkey flips on into Pillman's balls as Pillman <laughs> had ascended to the top rope. Sting then launches Flying Brian into the barricade. As Arn takes over, the crowd pops for Flair showing up in his street clothes. His forehead is all taped up. Yeah, it was almost like he had some kind of feminine hygiene product taped to his head. A Stridex pad, perhaps. Possibly. Is that what they're No, that's not for me. Isn't that Stridex pad? Aren't they yeah, that of... turned out to be spot cream, but I thought yeah. it was a feminine hygiene <laughs> okay. product. 
Is that, is that like right at the top of the list for things to advertise on wrestling? Well, that's why I thought it was so odd. Like... <laughs> Advertising sanitary towels on WWF. Yeah. Always and Tampax haven't got in on this wrestling market. <laughs> but does it not sound like a feminine hygiene product? Yeah. Oh, it, they could have done something with PMS. <laughs> I'm glad they didn't. All of a sudden, now that Sting has an actual tag team partner, he's taking a beating. Absolutely fine when it's a handicap match, but Flair shows up. Well, and... perhaps he's a little distracted. Yeah, maybe. By, by the feminine hygiene product taped to somebody's head. <laughs> I know I would be. Sting takes a beating from Pillman and Anderson, who exchange quick tags. The crowd chant, we want Flair, as Flair attempts to interfere. Pillman and Anderson aim for the rocket launcher, but Sting gets his knees up. Hmm. where he launches him off the top rope. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Flair struts on the apron as Pillman wanders for the tag to Anderson. To, to be honest, like, I'm not the biggest Flair fan, but his strutting is quite good. Yeah, and it does get the crowd into it as well. Yeah. His performance as not being someone that's in the ring is amazing. Just bumbling around all the time. He's, he doesn't really stop the spotlights kind of on him. Yeah. Is he, like, the most popular person in this company? Yes. Him and Sting, pretty much. Mm. It's a good tag team, then. <laughs> Pulling Sting back, Anderson hits a belly-to-back suplex for a two. Arn gets an abdominal stretch on Sting in the horseman's corner, taking additional leverage from Pillman when the ref isn't looking. Maybe this is the one I'm thinking of. Tag to Pillman, who taunts Flair before choking Sting. Pillman sits into Sting with a single-leg crab and holds Arn Anderson's hand for even less leverage than an <laughs> abdominal stretch. That's the spot you're oh, thinking okay, of. Oh, OK, that's the spot I was thinking of. But... Yeah, if you're going to do it, do it so it, it gets some extra leverage because that didn't. They were just holding, holding hands. hands. And and that doesn't look terribly masculine. <laughs> not not often. I mean, you two look pretty masculine holding hands right now. Yeah, no, that's because we are. Yeah, when you kind of got our game faces on like we have. <laughs> More quick tags by Pillman and Anderson before Pillman covers for a trio of twos. Sting finally fights back A with trio punches. of twos or a six. <laughs> <laughs> You said you had maths for this pay-per-view. Is that still to come? Yes, it is. But, like, my notes are all over the place here because I, re- I had to write something particularly large and it messed up my page. <laughs> anyway, Sting finally fights back with punches, but Anderson hits his famous spine buster for a two. Was it a good one? I love his spine busters. Pillman lays on Sting's leg a la Bulldog Diesel and I started to have flashbacks that this was going to be the next 18 <laughs> minutes of the pay-per-view. Flair with more strutting as the horseman wishbone the Stinger, pulling his legs apart. Sting screams for the nature boy and Flair on the outside is, I'm here, I'm here, is all a bit romantic. Mm. It's a bit Romeo and Juliet, that. <laughs> which one's which? I think Flair would technically be Juliet if he's the one waiting. Okay. The build for the tag to Flair goes on for ages, and I'm not sure if it gets to the point where it's a great build or it's just foreplay that goes on forever and you're just waiting for the actual (laughs) act. Nothing to add on that. The penetrative act of tagging. Yes. Adam's got another picture. Has he? No. I've actually not. I didn't have time to do any pictures in this one. There was too much shit going on. I was too excited about a monster truck sumo match. Adam's all all about the visuals. Shivani tells us that he has never seen Sting take so much punishment from two men. (laughs) (laughs) That's an actual lie. (laughs) Eventually, Sting gets a flurry of punches and bashes Pillman and Anderson's heads together. More flair strutting on the apron. And finally, finally, 
Finally, Sting gets the tag to flare, and the it, crowd go absolutely. Say, yeah, this go nuts. this was an amazing, amazing hot tag. Ape shit. Flair struts his way into the ring, doing a little bit of a dance before turning around and nailing Sting. <laughs> and and this is where I wrote that it probably takes up around about twenty percent of my page. Swerve. <laughs> and then I wrote hot tag because I, I didn't write it in the right order. <laughs> Anderson, Pillman and Flair beat down on Sting and for no particular reason, the ref calls for the bell at 17.09 as a second ref tries to pull the horseman away from Sting. Quick note, did we not watch this exact same angle <laughs> Yeah, the last WCW pay-per-view we did? Yeah, but you know what? I didn't see it coming. <laughs> yeah, I, did. I didn't, I didn't did, at all. They did such a good job yeah. of building up to this that I was, I was actually really yeah, yeah. physically excited. But he's got the tag. And then I was in stitches of, of yeah. laughter as Flair does his little dance and then just batters. Sting. I, I, I'll be honest, like I, I had some interest in this, but I'll, I'll describe it as kind of mild to moderate interest in this match for the most part. And then it got towards a hot tag, and I was actually thinking, "Yeah, I actually want him to tag now. I, I want him to tag." And then, as you say, it's just kind of like this massive comedy moment as he kind yeah. of dances around and, and, and pops in one. <laughs> but it's one of the, another one of those turns that makes zero sense whatsoever because these two have actually been beating each other up for weeks on television. They've had a steel oh. cage match and all sorts. Yeah, it makes no sense whatsoever. But I think the execution of that swerve yeah, no, is so right. good. The fact they were they were fighting in the first place didn't make any sense. Now the fact they've got back together makes even less sense. Well, as we know, was it all two, a, two negatives make a positive? Was it all a really convoluted plan to punch Sting <laughs> at, at a really inopportune moment on pay per view? Evidently, it was. What I will say is that the early '96, late '95 version of the Horseman is really good, and. You've seen some of the nitros where Flair has all the buffet tables with all yeah, the women. Yeah, that's really good. It does yield a good version of this faction, as there are some good ones and yeah. are some bad ones. But yeah, it kind of didn't make any sense. And the match was just one big sort of cock tease towards the hot tag that they then swerve on immediately. Mm. But the crowd bought into it at the very and, least. And we and bought into yeah, it. I bought into it. We're gullible. <laughs> we must be. It's we... Ric Flair. Of course he's going to turn on him. So, to be fair, I just can't wait for that pyramid scheme that we invested into. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tony Schiavone, I've got to tell you, Bobby Heenan, this is right down your alley. This is the most disgusting thing I have ever seen. All along, Ric Flair was part of this Anderson-Pillman game plan to turn on Sting. I can't believe it. Hopefully I can get a word with these gentlemen as they come back and head toward the locker room. By the way, fans, the hotline, the WCW hotline, is up and running right now. Mark Madden is back there. Mike today, Johnny B. Bad. All of the great superstars are on hand. Road Warrior Hawk will talk to you if you give him a call right now at 1-900-909-9900. A buck 49 a minute. Kids, get your parents' permission and uh, make that call right now. Gentlemen, come on in here. Arn Anderson, Brian Pillman, you have perpetrated the worst thing I've ever seen, Flair. All right! Now we go to school! First thing you learn is, you don't jump on double A! Second thing you learn is, you don't play around with Flying Brian! Third thing you learn is, you never mess around with an nature boy, and the fourth thing is, you don't walk, talk, or breathe, unless the horsemen want you to. 
Right, Ryan? Woo! <laughs> Be careful what you wish for. All you bloodthirsty fans out there that ask for this, well, you got it. Now deal with it. Oh, we're reunited! And it feels so good! Horseman style! Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, this is perhaps one of the worst things I could ever recall happening. In the aisleway, Mean Gene waits for the heel trio. He gets in a quick plug for the hotline first, though. <laughs> Hawk looks really weird without his face paint on. Did you see? Did yeah. What did you think? He looks like yeah. a teacher, but with a really crazy hair. Some kids have just come and shaved down the middle of his head. Flair grabs the mic as the crowd boo. Someone lobs a Coke cup, which lands perfectly between Flair and Anderson and just sort of sits there for a millisecond before <laughs> it's, it's someone kind of, swats it away. He's kind of got his arms crossed and it's just like it, just next to his elbow. But it, it's almost like amazing product placement. <laughs> Flair tells us the horsemen are reunited and Mean Gene is absolutely disgusted. He's disgusted quite a lot, Mean Gene. Yeah. We cut to Wrestling more... probably ain't the business for him. <laughs> we cut to more chatter between Heenan and Shivani. There is an obscene amount of time on this pay-per-view just spent focusing on Bobby Heenan and Tony Schiavone, just having a chat. Is this what annoys you? There's too much camera time on Schiavone. Yeah, I, I, I must say, because somebody pointed out to me, or, or out to us a while ago, about my words, or, or my disliking previously to, to Bobby Heenan. Yeah. And I must say, I, I, I don't know if it's just because I've watched more of this kind of era of wrestling that I'm now starting to appreciate him a little more. It's still not my, my, my favourite ever, but not disgusted by him. There was a great line we watched on a Nitro this morning, oh, Adam. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where he, it's during the steel cage match between Flair and Arn Anderson, where Bobby Heenan attempts to say the line, he's made his bed, now he's got to line it. But halfway through saying it, he realises he's got a better version. <laughs> <laughs> and just goes, he's made his steel cage, now he has to fight in it. <laughs> Which was absolute genius. Yeah. Brilliant. I mean, I always thought that he came out with a few good lines, even even when I was kind of perhaps a bit critical of him in, in those first few episodes that we watched. I did like there was, there was a few lines that were absolute gold. I just I thought there was a few that he tried out that didn't necessarily work in there, but I, think, I thought he was kind of more consistent. What a perplexing situation here in Detroit, Michigan, Lex Luger. You appeared to have the match in control. You had Ming set for the torture rack. Then he brought the Asiatic spike into the ring. And of all people, the taskmaster, Kevin Sullivan, interferes. What do you make of this? Now you have to face Randy Savage after that grueling match with Ming. You know, it seems a very perplexing situation. It seems there's forces here in the World Championship Wrestling. Besides my good pal... And friend Sting, who want this match between the macho man, Randy Savage, and myself to take place. The reasons why, I can't really say. I don't really know. Maybe I'm not 100% right now. But macho man, when the total package Lex Luger, here's that bell ring. It's you and I, the big boys, getting it on. And when the bell rings, I'm going to be there, macho man. And you know what? I'm going to be all over you because I've got a goal that I stated from day one. And you and your pal, Hulk Hogan, can commiserate together all you want. 
But the bottom line is this. I am the total package. I am going to be the greatest wrestler that WCW has ever seen. I am going to be the world's heavyweight champion. You know what, macho man? I'm going to go through you to get there. I'm going to make an example of you. So, macho man, you better be ready. You've taken on a lot of big matches in your career, but you've never had a bigger match than the total package Lex Luger right now because I'm standing before you and I'm telling you, macho man, that I'm going to take you apart piece by piece because a total package always gets what he wants. Now let's go back to the ring. Tony Schiavone and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Mike Tanay, a very young Mike Tanay, a very is young Mike backstage with Lex Luger. Tanay questions Luger about Sullivan's interference. And Luger almost says, things are a bit weird here in the world championship wrestling. <laughs> Lex, remember where you work. Luger says he is unsure of the forces at work here in WCW. And he says he is going to be the greatest wrestler WCW has ever seen. Mm. He says this match with Savage is going to be the biggest match of the Macho Man's career. Mm. Probably not. Mm -hmm. What did you make to Luger's promo? Lacking in character and power. Compared to everything else you've seen on this show. Yeah, maybe I've just been spoiled really with the it's, promo yeah. quality so far that this is just a bit flat. I actually didn't think it was that awful, but I say when you contrast it to the style of promos that there's been, it's, it just doesn't fit. Some of his flubs are quite good, like the one he almost does in this one. He's not quite Sid, but he's kind of halfway there. <laughs> mm. There's one on a Nitro in December where he says something like, I am the uncrowned world champion in WCW, and that's the way it's going to stay. Which is obviously not what he means in the slightest. Beautiful. But, yeah. I would say that Mike Tanay looked a little bit like one of the Undertaker's creatures of the yes, night. Yes, he did. He does look yeah. a bit goth and pale. Yeah, yeah. Or Seamus' dad, maybe. Was, was, somebody, was somebody saying that it's Shane, Shane McMahon was... Seamus' dad? No. <laughs> was, was that creature the one that got chokeslammed? Yeah, apparently so. In the it. casket match with Karma at SummerSlam, yeah. apparently... Yeah, we should go back and rewatch that, but I don't really want to go back and rewatch that. No. The Wrath of a Giant... WCW World Champion knows it all too well. First, it was the shocking appearance in Huntington Beach, California, as he tossed his father's shirt toward the champ. Remember this! Then, only a week later, it was discovered that he was a part of the Dungeon of Doom. And one true immortal. <laughs> Hulk Hogan declared war, a war that would lead Hogan back to the dungeon for yet another brutal, blatant attack. The Hulkster gathered his team of Hulkamaniacs for Fall Brawl and War Games, but it was there prior to the event that the giant struck. It would be the first of many blows to the power of Hulkamania. It happened as Hogan was arriving to the arena on his cherished Harley Davidson motorcycle. Then later the same night, as Hogan had the Taskmaster in the cage, the Giants attacked again. As a result, an injured Hulk Hogan made a challenge. I'm going to build a bigger, a better, a stronger, more powerful monster truck. I'm going to get him to hook his up to mine. And I'm going to drag him around and around and around the Joe Louis Arena, brother. Because I'm setting him up in Detroit, man. And after I outpower his truck, after I embarrass him, then I'm going to put that WCW title on the line, brother. And I'm going to put him in his place, dude. 
But the giant, under the guidance of Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan, was unstoppable as he unleashed a premeditated attack on WCW Monday Nitro Live on September 25th. Hogan witnessed the attack from his home and quickly made it clear he would confront the giant on the next live Nitro event. That Nitro event proved even more dangerous for the Hulkster. After his interview, the most vicious and horrible attack of all occurred. Oh, what is this? There's a woman with a cane. I know he's going to do it again. No, no. They're shaving off the mustache. An injured, shaved Hulk Hogan would not stay down. He went to Chicago the next week to confront the giant again. The fans were stunned as they saw the world champ as never before, dressed in black. But this time, the giant was barred from the arena and Hogan gave chase. Police kept both men apart. Then, last week, the master told of a plan of insurance for Halloween Havoc. He returned during WCW Monday Nitro to present his insurance, The Yeti. Later in that same program, the Giant was on the attack again when the power of Hulkamania made one final powerful statement heading toward their collision. But the Dungeon of Doom had one more surprising move. As the countdown continues to Halloween Havoc, Hulk Hogan prepares his monster truck, knowing that for the first time in his career, he must face the same man twice in one night. First, machine against machine, as the two control their sumo monster truck in an explosive battle, and then, man against man. As a determined, Hulk Hogan defends the WCW world title against the most feared and awesome competitor world championship wrestling has ever witnessed, and must contend with what lies ahead. We get some more announcer babble before we see a package building up the feud between Hogan and Giant, including the fact that the Giant is Andre the Giant's son. The giant ran over Hogan's motorcycle. So that's why we've got this match happening. And the video package announcer can say Yeti properly. That was amazing. The bit where the giant runs over Hogan's motorbike is one of my favourite things that I've seen in wrestling. I think that's just awesome. You've watched it a fair few times. I have, yeah. I've seen it quite a few times because they just keep showing it over and over again. But it doesn't seem to get old for me. So either this or the match later in the evening is the Giant slash The Big Show's first professional wrestling match. Real name, Paul White. The Giant had met Hulk Hogan at a promotional basketball game. Hogan then recommended him to Eric Bischoff, as Hogan liked the way White had worked the crowd during the game. White had actually earlier inquired about joining the WWF, making an audition tape and giving it to referee Mike Kyoda, who forwarded it to Pat Patterson. Patterson, however, never watched the tape, as he thought it was for the man who would later be known as Kurgan. Oh, OK. Ah. Once White, as the giant, had debuted with WCW, Patterson realised his mistake and Vince McMahon wasn't happy mm. that he could have had this guy, but didn't. Well, wait a few years and sign him up for a million dollars. The Giant first appeared on WCW television at the Great American Bash on June the 18th, 1995, as a spectator in the crowd. The Giant would go on to confront Hulk Hogan and throw a T-shirt of his father at the Hulkster. On the July 22nd edition of WCW Saturday Night, Hulk Hogan would teleport into the Dungeon of Doom and discover that there were no Hulkamaniacs there. Also, he touched some water to find out it was, and I quote, not hot. <laughs> did we show you this promo no no 
It's great. Hogan has the physical reaction like he's put his hand into scalding water, but what he actually says is, ow, it's not hot. <laughs> Which, surely, if it was tepid or, or you just cool, go, it would be fine. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> the, I'd love to see kind of that deadpan delivery. Yeah, it's, it's all right. <laughs> oh, it's fine. The giant would burst out of a rock sculpture in the wall and choke Hogan, declaring that his power was a million times greater than that of Hulkamania and that he was the one true immortal. I should also mention, as I touched on earlier, that every Dungeon of Doom promo banged on about the rare white Bengal tiger. Did they ever actually have a rare white Bengal tiger with them? No, but there was that time Scott Steiner came to the ring with a tiger. What? What? Yeah, that actually happened. What? Was Scott Steiner in the Dungeon of Doom? No, oh. sadly. But he, yeah, he would have fit right in. He would have fit right yeah. in. And I'm pretty sure the tiger was just obedient to Scott Steiner. <laughs> Did he suplex it? <laughs> I like to think so. Tiger suplex. <laughs> Adam, you're a drummer. You can actually put that in there. <laughs> Hogan would attempt another trip to the Dungeon of Doom. And yes, I love, love, love that it is presented as an actual place. <laughs> yeah. Somewhere, I imagine, just outside parts unknown. How is he teleported there? How does that happen? It's never really said. It just Well, you, you can't teleport organic matter. Uh, I, I, believe, I believe this is correct, that you can actually teleport things, but I think all that's being teleported so far is like a laser beam. It's right. being teleported about four centimetres in the lab somewhere. But basically, Star Trek predicted iPads, so I'm pretty sure one day we'll all be... And strange, because well, I, I, I think the Dungeon know. of Doom appears to be in a 1960s Star Trek well, set. Well, I think, I think all the components... <laughs> it does. It fucking does. Yeah, and it, it kind of plays out like it. A bit of the acting and the music and everything is a little bit 60s Star Trek. If there's one thing I would watch, it would be James T. Kirk versus the Dungeon of Doom. Yes. And the, the, the master would appear on their view screen. Yes. Like, you know, and they'd have to go down to the planet to investigate. There's a Photoshop. That would be amazing. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I just... I don't know what I'm talking about. What was I talking about? Teleportation. Teleportation. No, well, I think, as far as I understand it, all the components have to be uniform. Right. Kind of on an atomic level or probably subatomic level. Are you saying Hulk Hogan's not uniform on a subatomic level? I'm saying it's not uniform at all. So you, <laughs> so you probably couldn't transport a person and a fly? No, you, you couldn't. Is that a joke that you're making that I don't get? It's a movie. Yeah. Oh, okay. You've never seen The Fly? No. Oh. It's not Bend It Like Beckham. No, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, no, all, all the bits have to be the same because they don't, they, they kind of are taken apart and put yeah. to, back together. How would you get order. them back in yeah. the same order? Yeah. So that's, that's the conundrum that they'll have to solve before they get to the kind of Star Trek level of teleportation. But when they've got it sorted, I figured that'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Because we could go back to 1995 and actually be there for this. That's not how teleporters work. Maybe you are, Kamala. Uh, that's that time travel thing that Stuart was banging on about a few episodes yeah. ago. You, yeah. need, you need a teleporter and a time machine. And a time machine. So we use the time machine to get back to 1995. And then the teleporter. And the teleporter to, to, to get to... to um, Atlanta? Or where no, we are. Chicago, Ch- this is. Uh, Mich- Detroit, Michi- Michigan. Oh, Michigan, right. I was going to say. Is yeah. it Michigan? Is that the kind of... Because they do bang on about Ford. Is, yes. Is, yeah, that's, is that yeah. the big Ford place? Yeah. So anyway, Hogan would attempt another trip to the Dungeon of Doom at Clash of the Champions 31 on August the 6th, which would be as successful as his first trip there when the giant <laughs> once again choked him. <laughs> Kamala, Zodiac, the Shark, and the Taskmaster joined in. Fortunately for Hogan, Vader was there to help him and chase off the Dungeon of Doom, while Sting, Randy Savage, and Jimmy Hart helped the Hulkster to his feet. How all of these people got there, I don't know. There's the same teleporter. I I guess. 
Anyway, on WCW Main Event Live prior to Fall Brawl on September the 17th, Gene Oakland conducted an interview with the Hulkster arriving at the arena on his Harley Davidson. The giant interrupted, driving a monster truck and ran over Hogan's prized motorcycle. It's good to know that the master provides transportation. Yeah. And, and in the form of a massive monster truck. I like the idea that this is just parked outside the Dungeon of Doom. Yeah. And in, the, in their garage. Yeah. Which is strangely nicer than their dungeon. The people in the background in the interview, where Hulk Hogan and Mean Gene are, they just yeah. keep looking to the side, waiting for it to come into view. Yeah. Which spoils it a little. At the actual Fall Brawl event itself, Hogan's team of Hulkamaniacs, comprised of himself, Randy Savage, Sting and Lex Luger, faced off against the Dungeon of Doom, Shark, Kamala, Meng and Zodiac in a War Games match. Hogan won the bout, submitting Zodiac with a camel clutch and making him humble, but was attacked <laughs> after the bout by the giant who choked Hulk and rattled his neck, leading Hogan to wear a neck brace. It's was so... it a black neck brace? No, it was white. Was it? Does he... I'm sure he has a black he one. He has a black one later yeah. on, yeah. Well, we saw a, a promo after this, didn't we? And the... He's got... It was intimated that, yeah. that the giant had broken his neck and Hogan's... <laughs> Then, you know, plan after his neck had been broken was to not miss a day's training and go down the gym loads. Yeah. And now he's fine. That is how you recover from broken necks, as I'm led to understand. Yeah. As, as long as you um, say your prayers and eat Take your vitamins. Take your vitamins, yeah. And use your blender or juice or whatever it is. <laughs> Hulk Hogan blender, yeah. yeah. On the October 2nd Nitro, Hogan conducted an in-ring interview where he discussed the upcoming matches at Halloween Havoc. As he left ringside, Hogan was blindsided with powder by a woman in the crowd. This was also amazing. Who was actually Kevin Sullivan <laughs> in a dress. Oh, in a dress? In a really, really sort of like old Scooby-Doo cartoon type yeah. dress. If it wasn't for them pesky kids. Sullivan and the giant then beat down Hogan and shaved his moustache. Devastating. That's where it's gone. That's the source of his power, like Samson. On the following week's Nitro, Hogan appeared dressed shock horror all in black, claiming he was now ready to play the Dungeon of Doom's games. Hogan would go on to slag off Vince McMahon before the giant turned up in his monster truck trying to get into the arena. On the 23rd of October Nitro, the master cut an unexpected promo talking about an insurance policy for Halloween Havoc, at which point the camera panned to show a giant block of ice. Kevin Sullivan would then cut a promo claiming that the master had been with Sherpa guides to get the Yeti. Bear in mind, we've never even seen the Master leave his seat, yet has somehow gone to the Himalayas. From watching all this, I'm unsure if the Master can leave his seat. Sullivan would claim that Hogan had turned to the dark side. Hogan would also cut a promo claiming that Sting, Macho Man and Lex Luger were little dogs hovering over his carcass, and that post-Halloween Havoc he may hang on to the black outfit he was sporting. He would also refer to himself as both the man in black and the bad guy, presumably prompting lawsuits from Johnny Cash and Razor Ramon, right. respectively. <laughs> At the end of the show, while Hogan and the Giant faced off in the ring, something resembling a mummy exploded out of the ice. What could it be? A yeti, obviously. FYI, the upcoming sumo match, which we're about to discuss, was taped the previous evening, and as you may have guessed, Hogan and the Giant aren't actually driving the trucks. Oh, swerve. Back ringside, <laughs> and Shivani has been replaced by Eric Bischoff. He and Heenan are joined by Bob Chandler, who apparently built Hogan's truck. Up on the roof, and some guy with a great mullet explains the rules to Hogan and the Giant. See, I'm an amateur as far as mullets go, and I think I could tell that was a great one. It's nay bad, yeah. His 
explanations of how the truck should work were a little bit rubbish. Yeah, that's and, the best. And word then for they it. weld the trucks together in about eight seconds. Yeah, I'm no welding expert, but I'm not sure that would hold two massive, really powerful trucks together. I'm also of that opinion. Basically, the rules of the match are push the other truck out of the circle or flip it, which if they're welded together, you probably wouldn't be able to do that. Yeah. The Dungeon of Doom truck is way cooler. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's awesome, but Hogan's truck has got a belt. And giant arms, which I expected when he makes his comeback, one of the arms was just going to point out (laughs) and go, you. But it didn't. But yeah, the Dungeon of Doom one has like big teeth down the side. Yeah, I mean, what, one of the things that was awkward, I think, with this whole thing was the, the talking about, oh, I'm going to push you off, and then at least Bobby Heenan had the sense to make the point, well, if you push his off, you're going down as well, if you push him off the edge. But maybe the welding's not that good. We get to see in-the-cab shots of Hogan and the Giant, but when you see the external camera shots, you can clearly see there's two people in there. Mm. Yes, yeah, so there's definitely two people. And I'm presuming that what they did then was have, like, two sets of steering wheels. Yeah, I think they've got fake steering wheels, haven't they? Yeah. But they look like they're having a tremendous time. Bob says that they will be okay without helmets as long as they don't go over the side of the roof of the building. In which case, a helmet's not going to do shit because you'll probably just die. A helicopter... certainly you'd die. I mean, there's no question about it. A helicopter gives us aerial shots of the trucks. We start with Hogan's truck hitting a Hurricane Rana. <laughs> Giant's truck counters with a choke slam. That might not be true. Hogan's truck gets beat down for 10 minutes before it makes the big comeback. Hogan wins. Yeah, there's not an awful lot you can say about this, is what? it? It's, it's this was how long, so dull. How long does it go on for? Do you time it? I think it's about seven minutes, isn't it? Of them just going forwards and backwards in these trucks that and a little bit are, round and round. are joined together. But it was one of those charges goes off. Wow, that was a, a moment. But Hogan's truck did get almost pushed out of the big ring before it makes its big comeback. So it's, he got to make a Hogan-esque comeback even mm, in a monster truck. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a 100-foot diameter. Well, that's what the, the claim the circle was, so... Possibly, then. So the circumference would be kind of 314 feet. Because you have to do diameter times pi to work out the circumference. Was that your maths for this episode? No. Okay. Just, Still just, to come. That, that, that's almost like a bit of dull maths. But, yeah, this was just kind not the, of... Not the maths is dull, obviously. Two trucks pushing each other for yeah, it's, five minutes. it's not really very good. It sounds exciting, doesn't it? Sumo monster truck match, but... On a roof. <laughs> but, but, but when you actually look at it, it's not. It's terrible. I thought they could have done a lot more with it. Yes, yes, they could. Something, could have put something on fire, maybe. <laughs> Some barbed wire. Pop the tyres. Yeah. Maybe what they should have had is they should have, like, a manager in each one's corner and then have one of those, like, stinger machines like the police have. Right. In yeah. car chases, and what you have to do is try and burst tyres... But the stings would have to be massive to get through those six-foot-high uh, monster truck tyres. Maybe if they had the master at the side... Just shouting. Shouting things. Maybe Disco Inferno the other side, dancing. <laughs> and the Yeti had a big block of ice on the other side. Yeah, now already we're getting something that could be a lot more entertaining. And then Flair could have had another truck that he sided with Hogan that he waited ages <laughs> to tag his truck. And then he just drove into Hogan's truck. Yeah, And then, and then they'd all bleed. <laughs> And then someone would have a glitter gun. So anyway, Hogan wins, <laughs> it would seem. Giant gets out of his truck and charges Hogan, choking him onto the edge of the roof. I wonder what might happen here. I, I think it's impossible to predict. Hogan breaks free of the Giant's grip and the Giant comedically waves his arms around a bit and falls off the roof. To his death. 
Because that, that would kill him. Hogan screams for help as Bischoff shouts, no, no, no. He screams for help and then he runs away, away. fleeing the site of the crime like the coward that he is. And he, and he was wearing black murderer's gloves. <laughs> Unfortunately for him, it has all been captured on paper. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's accidental manslaughter. Is that, would that be the term, do you think? I think you'd say that the giant made the made the attack. Hogan was in defence, so mm. yeah, probably would be manslaughter. I, I think Vince McMahon's lawyer would get him off. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a quick phone call to Jerry McDevitt, and everything's fine. <laughs> yes, yeah, in fact, the Big Show's family now owes him three thousand dollars. <laughs> Have you had an accident in the workplace? <laughs> Did you fall over on a, on a wet floor where there was a sign? Bischoff and Heenan feign shock and tell us security is headed to the roof. Most importantly, the crowd are silent. Yeah. The guy's just died. Yeah, I'm glad they're not cheering. Bischoff tells us that there would be no difference if the giant had landed in the parking lot on one side of the building or the river on the other side. I think there's a difference between, you know, the impact that you'd have from some water to some concrete. I, well, I believe that to be true also. Although people always do say that there's always that thing that people trot out, that if you fall from high enough, that it is like hitting concrete. But I don't think five I, stories is that high. Is that all it is, five stories? Yeah. I, I imagine if your feet first into the water, you'd probably be all right. If you belly flop it... Yeah, you might break pro- your legs. It'll probably yeah. hurt. But if you hit concrete, it doesn't matter how you hit it, it'll still kill you. I think if you roll... most importantly i think this is the first time we've witnessed murder on a pay-per-view yeah yeah how do you feel i feel it's rather insensitive that the pay-per-view is still continuing it was it was just a bit shocking because i kind of thought something would come along like that i actually thought when because hogan goes to grab him yeah i almost thought that they'd do a thing for it for a brief second where he'd have caught him and hogan would heroically save him and pull him up and they'd become buddies but that didn't happen did you know about this whole rooftop deal before you watched it no, this is one of the things I've heard a bit about this, and I actually reckon that I might have seen one of those promos before with the bike getting run over. I think I've seen that at some point before. Okay. Possibly even around the time this happened. I kind of perhaps when flicking channels before I really watched wrestling. Okay. It just rings some kind of bell, but no, I didn't know that that's what happened. And it was just like, yeah, I didn't know where they were going with that. I didn't know if they were going to go with some kind of Yeti thing where but the yeti catches him well no where well, hogan faces the yeti instead yeah well, well that then turns out to be the big show the big show right. I, I thought that okay. possibly might be what would happen but it didn't i didn't know that this was going to happen and i found it kind of amusing you know when we go back to heenan and shivani heenan's doing loads of really over the top i need to get out of this building and find out what's going on and shivani just kind of looks like a mixture of bored and confused yeah <laughs> well i think i think the thing that bobby heen did did do very well here to, to his credit is he brought in that link with kind of, you know, where it talks about, you know, how close he would be with Andre, yeah. the giant, and, and kind of with the storyline. That actually made sense that he kind of... But it's also him. terribly insensitive because that man is actually dead. Yeah. Yes, that is true. And I was thinking now, like, Big Show's father has died three times. <laughs> <laughs> once when he was Andre the Giant, once when, you know, the big boss man dragged him around, and I don't know, maybe he's still alive, but maybe he's... There'll, there'll be a third. There'll be a third. What an emotional roller coaster. That must be, for your dad to die three times. Bischoff heads off anyway, and we get Shivani back, basically. Our semi-main event is Randy Savage versus Lex Luger, who both won their matches earlier on. And this is weird already, that this is just going to happen. For no reason. Well, not not just for no reason, that, you know, they're not focusing on the murder investigation. Um, 
They're just going to have a Let's Luger match. <laughs> As if the crowd weren't upset enough. Well, if there's one man that can bring it back from the brink of murder, it's definitely Lex Luger. But why are these two facing off? Well, as we saw on the Raw vs Nitro episode, Macho Man has been somewhat suspicious of Lex Luger since he turned back up in WCW. Following Fall Brawl on the 18th of September Nitro, Savage cut a promo on Luger claiming that Luger had cheap-shotted him during the War Games match and that Luger had a personal agenda, whatever that means. Savage finished the promo by slapping Luger around the face. On the September 25th Nitro, Luger would confront the Macho Man, claiming that Savage had been down on him since he rejoined WCW and that Macho didn't respect him. Luger challenged Savage to a match where if Luger lost, he'd leave WCW forever. Well, on October the 2nd, Luger would conveniently beat Savage by DQ when the Giant came down and chokeslammed the Macho Man. On the October the 9th Nitro, renowned peacemaker and negotiator Sting resolved to solve the problems between Savage and Luger. His solution... If Savage could beat Kamala and Luger could beat Meng at Halloween Havoc, then the two men would face off later in the evening. Luger initially declined the suggestion, but Sting goaded him into accepting the proposition. Oh joy, here comes Lex Luger again. Mm. Shivani takes back over on commentary, and yeah, if there's one man you want to send out after the apparent death of a performer, it's Lex Luger. He'll draw the crowd back into this show, definitely. And also, his cardio is so good that it's not actually that he's already wrestled once. No, definitely not. Shivani speculates that we won't have a world title match because one of the participants is dead. (laughs) It's a good enough reason. (laughs) Macho Man enters next, and was his arm bandaged up earlier, or is that new? I think that's new. I think it's new. Tony apologises to Macho and Luger for being distracted, and Heenan says he can't concentrate on this match. Luger wants a handshake and Macho responds with a boot to the gut. Luger responds with a clothesline to booze. For some reason, Jimmy Hart wanders down to ringside. Luger beats down Savage and adjusts his pants. Hey. See, see, I thought, talking about Jimmy Jim Hart, when he came down, I thought he's going to stop the match and say, look, we can't go on. <laughs> I, I, did, I, did, I did think that that was going to happen. Maybe I was just hoping it was going to happen, but I thought that, that was going to happen. I thought they were going to kind of work this into the main event angle. They didn't. For some other reason, Macho Man takes a swing at the referee. Don't know why. Luger chucks Savage to the outside as Heenan and Tony pay no attention to the match at all, making veiled references to what happened on the roof, or as Heenan calls it, rough. (laughs) He does. He says it like a dog. Luger follows Macho outside and Savage takes the advantage, ramming Luger's head into the steel steps. Back inside, Macho aims for a double axe handle off the top, but Luger counters as Jimmy Hart gets up on the apron and jaws with the referee. Luger covers Macho with his feet on the ropes, but the ref is too engrossed in his conversation with the mouth of the South. Savage whips Luger into Jimmy Hart, then hits the elbow off the top for the three at 5.23. Bizarre. Yeah. What is going on? Why is Jimmy Hart there? It's a slightly better elbow. It was slightly better. It still wasn't one of his best, though. Who was he supposed to be in the corner of? I don't know. why had he wandered out to the match? Because, yeah, it's not explained, is it? It's just... He's just there. And it just happens. This seems to be the thing about WCW. There's no rhyme nor reason for anything happening. Things... But stuff just happens. And we just accept it. Yeah. I wish things happened just for a rhyme. (laughs) Not a reason. No, but if it's just for a rhyme, it'd just be like massive rap battles. Yeah, at this point, like, Jimmy Hart coming down wasn't intriguing. Yeah, it's just random things happening. Mm. Like, Disco Inferno should be dancing in the hallway. I'd like that. It was a nothing match as well. The announcers were way more occupied with all the other bollocks and Savage and obviously Luger didn't just put in a 
great deal of effort into the whole thing. Yeah. And this is the semi-main event of your paper. I've not really got many notes for this because um, it just it was very it was short and kind of didn't really have anything of note apart from Jimmy Hart coming down for no reason. Yeah, and two Lex Luger matches. What's that all about? No one wants that. Heenan storms off. He's so upset. Then he just sits back down. <laughs> he's still really upset though. <laughs> he talks about how far back he and his father go it's a bit uncomfortable well i imagine it would probably feel more uncomfortable at the time yeah we see highlights of hogan winning the monster truck match and then attempted murder (laughs) heenan is verging on shatner-esque overacting with his desire to know what's going on Mm. and it's now time for our main event hulk hogan versus some sort of corpse for the wcw world title michael buffer is out here for the main event Michael Buffer. We've seen him a few times, haven't we, for various things. And why is he such a big deal? He's terrible. I don't know. He's terrible. terrible. He's really bad. He called Bret Hart Bret Clark. (laughs) (laughs) He he must have some kind of dirt on someone. Ted Turner. (laughs) Yeah. So we need someone that can't really announce that well and gets people's names wrong. Yeah, let's get that guy. You think you you know you've got some you know something really horrific about me that will ruin me? I'll just pay you a lot of money to just go and announce some matches. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, he starts to announce the giant, but instead we get dark side Hogan. Hogan walks solemnly to the ring and grabs the mic. He says what happened outside wasn't planned and it was a terrible accident. And then the Dungeon of Doom music cuts Hogan off and the giant just wanders out with Kelvin Sullivan. Not a scratch on him. Not even Mm. wet. No. Definitely, you know, his brain's still all inside his head. The Dungeon of Doom music is amazing though. Yes. But that's what you're focusing on here, Adam. (laughs) I've got to, otherwise it's too ridiculous. How is there any explanation for anything that has happened in the last half hour? There's not. They, well, they don't even bother to try an offer. It's not even like they come up with some ridiculous story, like there was a massive stash of mattresses just under there. <laughs> yeah, well, there happens to be a mattress factory next door. Or, or, the, or the, they teleported in mid-fall back to the dungeon, and therefore he never... Landed at yeah. that velocity. You, you see, yeah. if, if they'd have explained that to me on commentary, I wouldn't have a problem with any of this now. Heenan does try and say, oh, I'll have an explanation tomorrow night. Watch Nitro, which you don't have to pay for. <laughs> the announcers don't understand what's going on. I don't think anyone understands really anymore what's going on. Giant charges the ring and Hogan bails to the outside. The bell rings and the main event is on. Hogan takes his do-rag off and he has the Taskmaster's markings on his forehead. That was weird. Yes, He's that gone was all weird. dark and evil. He looks like a twat. Giant charges, but Hogan moves and punches Giant to no avail. Hogan attempts a body slam, but no dice. Giant beats down Hogan with axe handles. And yeah, Heenan tells us to watch Nitro tomorrow night because he will have all the answers as to what happened on the roof. Giant chokes (laughs) Hogan in the corner, then with his boot in another corner. And Hogan and the Giant hold hands for a bit. Is this where they're doing some kind of dance? Yeah, kind of. It, It does look like a dance. It was odd. Has Hogan fingered the Giant yet? I don't know. You tell I think, me. I, I think this tied in with the dance. Yeah, I, th- I think there was there's some sort of like groping butt grab at some point in this. Rectal finger probing. Yes. Jimmy Hart claps for Hogan on the outside. Hogan powers up to his feet, but Giant boots him in the gut. Giant looks to go for a suplex, but I think Hogan vetoes it and just says, no, we're not yeah, doing that. Kind of, <laughs> they, they kind of do just stop. But he settles for a body slam instead. Giant tries a leg drop, but Hogan pops up and nails fists before ramming the Giant's head into two turnbuckles and then ten punches in the corner. Hogan tries to take the Giant down with clotheslines before clotheslining Giant to the outside. Giant and Sullivan try to leave, right? He's fallen off a fucking five-story roof, but he can't take Hogan's clotheslines. Let's just go. (laughs) Hogan vetoes that 
and bangs their heads together, bringing the giant back down to the ring. Back inside, Hogan tries to shoulder block the giant down, but giant counters, grabbing for a choke slam. but Hogan rakes the eyes. Backbreaker by the giant for a two, and giant grabs Hogan in a bear hug slash mild cuddle. That was a bit more of an embrace than a move. Another body slam by the giant, and we go back for another lower back cuddle. Shivani talks about WrestleMania 3. <laughs> just, just to promote the WWF. And Heenan tells us that you aren't seeing moves like you would from Eddie Guerrero or Sabu. But I hadn't noticed. <laughs> Hogan fights back with punches but walks into a choke slam. Hogan obviously powers out at two and begins his comeback. He's such a cunt, isn't he? <laughs> Has he done his back rakes yet? I don't believe so. No, he hasn't, no. Hogan's chin is massive. It, it, not having the moustache definitely makes it look yeah. bigger. He hawks up as a good portion of the crowd boo. A big boot by Hogan, but the giant doesn't go down. I rake and a body slam by Hogan. He is such a cunt, isn't he? This is his first match, and his gimmick is that he's this massive, unstoppable giant, and you've no-sold his fucking finisher, and then body slam the motherfucker so, yeah. in his first bout. Just bury him. What else is there for anyone to see him do, really? Leg drop by Hulk, but Jimmy Hart gets up on the apron, and then mysteriously the referee is down. Jimmy gets into the ring, feigning ignorance as to what has happened, and he helps the ref up. But then when Hogan's back is turned, he pushes the ref down and nails Hogan with the belt from behind. Hogan no-sells the heel turn, and the giant goes back to the bear hug as Jimmy Hart and Kevin Sullivan dance around in the ring. The match appears to be done at somewhere near 15 minutes, and Hart waves out someone, but Luger and Savage come out. In the aisleway appears the Yeti! The Yeti! The Yeti? (laughs) No, it very distinctly says the Yeti. The Mummy. In the ring, Luger is stomping Savage. There's way too much going on here. Eight (laughs) people have turned heel in the last five minutes. The Yeti gets in the ring and bums Hogan with a gentle back cuddle. Yes, it's it's very loving sodomy. Why is the Yeti a mummy? I don't know. I mean, one of the things, one of my explanations for for that move that you so horrifically described um, <laughs> have you ever seen that footage that I think Sky did of Marithran so I can't even say his name when they put his arm in a cast to see if he could bowl his doosra without bending his elbow I've seen that yeah. oh, okay and it's almost like the the yeti mummy thing has got two of those on and then so can't actually do a bear hug well it's I think it's it's the loose hug around the neck so it's not really a bear hug and then it's the it's the Pelvic thrusting. There, there, there is actually actually pelvic thrusting. There is definitely pelvic yeah. That's just not a figment of Adam's imagination, as some of his stuff is. That did happen. Adam, why don't you tell us about the actual Yeti? Because he's sort of a celebrity. Oh, celebrity watch with a Yeti. He first debuted. <laughs> he was trained by <laughs> Lex Luger. Actually, the, the, the Yeti debuted a few hundred years ago, because you know, really? it comes from um, Tibetan folklore. It's actually derived from a Tibetan word, is the Yeti. But he goes under many other names because it goes through Tibet and Nepal and some other places along the... Himalayas. Been around a bit. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's actually... Some translations appear as the man-bear, as jungle man, as the wild man. Mark Merrow. So it was kind of a wrestling connection. Snowman, etc., etc., etc. It's probably more commonly known now as the abominable snowman which right. is something that was coined in 1921 by uh, Henry Newman, who was like a journalist doing a piece on it. There's been loads of evidence, and say evidence in inverted commas, collected on the Yeti, which sort of first started, you know, turned up in like 1920 and, you know, continued up to the present day, but really had kind of like a heyday in the 1950s where people started, you know, more reports of Yetis. seeing the, the, the Yeti. 
because there was a bit of an explosion of people trying to get up and down Everest and whatnot. So there's like hair and footprints and a, a, a scalp, right. apparently. You know, there's there's a monastery, the the, the Pangboche Monastery, apparently has got a Yeti scalp. Right. But I think un, upon some other looking into this, it actually turned out to be like the shoulder skin of an elk or something weird right. like that. Basically, it's all bollocks. And, the, <laughs> and the, <laughs> A lot like this. Yeah, yeah. And there's uh, loads of photos and accounts of it. Like lots of the accounts state the kind of the same things that the that the yeti is between sort of five and nine feet tall. So it ranges from the size of a man to a giant. It's the a bo- giant, yeah, or bigger than the giant. He is bigger than the giant. Yeah, yeah. A biped, so you know, walks upright. One of the weird things is that lots of the accounts go from the lots of them. The colour is brown or reddish brown, sort of like a fox type colour. But there are obviously some that state that it's white. He's only the, the yeti. This is very important. The yeti is only ever seen from quite a great distance and in poor weather conditions. You don't see a yeti unless you can't really see a yeti. I can definitely see this one. Yeah, in popular culture, he's appeared in some films like you know. Apparently, he was in the Mummy, the Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. How weird is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like maybe this is where they first hooked up. Yeah, maybe. Well, apparently there were some yeti-like creatures. It's been a long time since I've seen that film, and I don't think that it was very good, so I probably won't watch it again. Another couple of films which sound great: Snow Beast and Rage of the Yeti. Snow Beast and Rhino. (laughs) And he's appeared in various sort of like TV things, like I mean Scooby Doo things, obviously. Yeah, Spider-Man, Looney Tunes, Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Apparently, when you say he has appeared. The Yeti is it's generally a he, isn't it? I don't think there's ever been a, a genital examination of yeah. Yeti. <laughs> and Yeti appeared in some video games. I just think I remember one being in Tomb Raider 2. But it's, there's one in GTA, or is that Bigfoot? I think that's Bigfoot. Sorry, carry on. It's very important to to note that the Yeti is always described a bit like a white Bigfoot, cross of human and ape, very tall, very strong, covered in fur. He is not. Someone that's covered in bandages. That was going to be my actual punchline to that yeah. whole thing was, most importantly. Yeah, he's not a mummy, right? which is clearly what this Yeti is. Briefly, and quite interestingly, is that recently some guy reckons he's worked out what the Yeti is. Professor Brian Sykes from Oxford University did this sort of like study where he took hair samples from different things, different artefacts, as it were, of around and did DNA sampling on them. Apparently the na- some sort of Nazi brought back a, a shot and stuffed Yeti. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so someone's got it. It's, it's really weird, but apparently the DNA has been destroyed by taxidermy processing, so he couldn't really tell what it was. But it looks like a, a Franken creature that someone's stitched up. But he's done DNA testing on it, and he's found out that it's kind of like a hybrid bear they found from these two different samples that they found. And it's it's like a polar bear crossed with a brown bear, right. I think. And the DNA footprinting matches of something that was found in ancient jawbone which dates from about forty thousand years ago mm. so his theory is that when people are seeing this it's like it's, it's kind of got different characteristic behaviors because it's a blend of two kind of subspecies right and what people are actually seeing is a bear but that's standing upright like mm. you know our brown bears sometimes sometimes yeah. do yeah but it's kind of like got the white coloration of a polar bear or something like that so it's got different characteristics and lives at a very high altitude and when people are seeing the yeti or seeing its footprints they're actually seeing this strange bear subspecies have you ever seen gentle ben yeah, yeah. it's like that anyway that, that that concludes my study on the the, the yeti luger gets hogan up in the torture rack <laughs> <laughs> 
Then Savage goes up in the rack. Shivani tells us the match is still going on, and Heenan tells us you will never see another pay-per-view like this again. Michael Buffer tells us the Giant is the winner. Why? But isn't the champion as he won by DQ. Giant poses with the belt anyway, as the Yete wanders around the ring aimlessly, and the crowd pelts trash. (laughs) Hogan at least sells this beating. Well, that was different. That was incomprehensible. It was just odd. Well, we sat around for a while trying to work out what's how, go- how what's going it worked on? out that the Giants had won. I think it was because Jimmy Hart, Hart was technically yeah. Hogan's manager and interfered. Even though, yeah. And, well, yeah, when you put it like that, it kind of makes a little bit of sense. That one bit makes a little bit of sense. All the rest of it, what's all that about? Why are all these people the out? The Luger heel turn makes no sense being as... Jimmy Hart just cost him a match 10 minutes ago. The match itself is just the standard Hogan monster match. That is that is what it is. The Yeti... It's a monster as, match. Uh, <laughs> monster match. <laughs> as much as I love the Yeti, he's got no purpose. He doesn't do anything. Hogan's, he just bums Hogan. Hogan's already been like beaten down by the giant. He doesn't need a bit of gentle sodomy. It also makes the giant <laughs> look weak. Yeah. yeah the, 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 the giant who's that big can't take Hogan without another giant. Who's bigger than him. Yeah. So, yeah, it also kind of demeans his selling point. What did you make to the match? <laughs> well, one of, one, of the interest, one of the interesting things for the match for me was that at one point, one of the commentators, I can't remember who it was, says the Giants got too much power. So I tried to work out how powerful he was. Well, there we go. <laughs> well, I was, I was trying to work out the best way to do it. So to work out power, it, it's kind of the rate of energy transfer. So you have to have the amount of energy and how long it takes to transfer that energy. So I was looking at doing force times distance effectively to measure the work done so distance i was going to say for about for a choke sign would be around about two meters because he got him relatively well yeah yeah and, and the force i mean weight is a force so we went by hulk hogan's weight that he was measured from which we think would be around about 125 kilos distance right. two meters so it's about 250 joules of energy that's transferred and we reckon it took about a second it's only a very rough approximation but that means his power is about 250 watts or kind of just over four moderate light bulbs. <laughs> the Giants choke slam is equivalent to four moderate light bulbs. Yeah, that, you, sh- that should be his tagline. I mean, you could you could light a, a large living room for a second relatively well <laughs> with a choke slam. Yeah. Well, where did this actually go? Nowhere. Well, the Giant would turn up on Nitro the next night, still holding the WCW World Title, and it would later be revealed that Jimmy Hart had put a clause in the contract for the match that the world title could change hands by disqualification. However, on the November the 6th Nitro, WCW would strip the giant of the title due to the controversial finish of this bout and vacate the strap, leading to the World War III 60-man three-ring battle royal on November the 26th, where Randy Savage would win his first WCW title. Hmm. Hogan would only really pop his head in and out of WCW when he felt like it over the next six or so months until July 1996. Shivani and Heenan natter again at the announced desk to end the show. Tony reassures all the Hulkamaniacs that Hogan is still the world champion, which he isn't. (laughs) (laughs) Credits roll so we know who is responsible for this mess. The last name, Eric Bischoff. So, what did you make of that then? I've got to say, all in all, I, I was entertained... Yeah, this was not boring. It was not good. Yeah, it was one <laughs> but, but, but it was not boring. It wasn't. It wasn't good. But I was still intrigued. Like Nitro, this show is sensory overload. There is yeah. just so damn much going on. None of the wrestling was really any good at all. No, but there's fireworks and stuff going on everywhere, and heel turns and monster trucks and shouty promos, and it's all a bit distracting. Really, my problem is I. 
that I mean, pro it, plus kicking in, mate? Yeah. <laughs> Even by my sort of memory standards, I was like, I've forgotten loads of the stuff that happened by the end of this show because my mind has been so, like you say, overstimulated by a monster truck sumo match with a murder at the end, mm. followed by everyone being in the ring, 12 different heel turns and a mummy yeti thing. That's all I can think of. I've got to say, in all honesty, I think this paper is designed for me and just how <laughs> my on, brain works because this is the sort of thing that I like. In this many was ways, a bit like your WrestleMania 11 card. It, I guess it wasn't a way. Yeah, the, it, like, it's really poorly thought through um, <laughs> and, and not terribly well executed, but there's enough random zany ideas that I think, gosh, that might work. And then... <laughs> Even though it doesn't work, it's still entertaining and exciting. Yeah. <laughs> it's so bizarrely laid out and paced, and it's got a handful of 17-minute matches, but then three five-minute matches in a row. But the absolute last thing you can accuse this card of is being boring. Yeah. And therefore, it is way better than In Your House 4. Yes, which it was is. bad yeah. and dull, whereas this was bad and amazing. Yeah. And what? the Yeti never goes anywhere either. He becomes a ninja like a month later. Well, you see, the thing is, but, but, <laughs> Yeti stroke mummy to ninja. Yes. How does that work? Ninjas being small, fast, elusive. How does a man survive a fall <laughs> off a roof and then 10 minutes later compete for a world title? <laughs> I don't don't poke holes in this because it will just unravel. It's, it's, it's weird because. Like, even I've just flicked back through my um, through some of my notes a bit, and I've, I have got, like, little notes saying, you know, dull for, for, for bits of the matches. And they are, but I was still, like, it's dull, but I was entertained because the wrestling was bad, but there's so many you know, distracting features going on. I think it's, it's held together. The mortar of this is the promos. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I really think that they... they you might be right. They, they glue it together, because you've had a kind of boring match that made no sense. You're, like, a little bit dazed from it. But then you get someone shout at you and it brings you back on track. Well, it brings me back on track anyway. And that just happens at, you know... Fairly regular intervals, yeah. yeah. You know what? I've got to confess, I was quite excited by the prospects of the monster trucks. In all honesty, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. (laughs) (laughs) I thought... Monster trucks? That's different. This is exciting, right? It sounds exciting, doesn't it? When someone says, okay, in this card, you can have a monster truck sumo match on a roof... You automatically think, Fuck yes, it. fucking hell, that'd be good. You've got enough buzzwords. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like work. a sun headline. Yeah. Sumo monster truck match death. Yeah. I mean, I mean all it's, you needed there was some grammar. more alliteration. <laughs> and it would have been a sun headline. I'd say watch this because... Oh, it's definitely yeah, yeah. worth You'll watch. You'll never see anything like it. Shivani's right on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's on loads of clips. It's kind of almost worth it to him shout, yete, yeah. for some reason, because that's... So bizarre. Not only is he pronouncing the word wrong, but he sounds really excited, and it's a big guy in bandages that, do, that does nothing. It's, yeah. it's worth a look. Match of the night in MVP? Probably Luger. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, Are you serious? And both of No. Like, in some respects, I want to say that there was a few things that I really liked. Like, I really liked that swerve with Ric Flair. Yeah. And the hot tag. I did actually, I did properly mark out for that. Other things I like, just before the monster truck match started, I was really hyped for it. So, the monster truck match up to the point that it started. <laughs> um, <laughs> that would be up there. Let me flick back through. Give me a second. Adam, would you, would you match of the night and MVP. I'm going to go for the Brian Pillman, Arn Anderson versus Sting. 
and latterly Ric Flair match because that's the one match that as a match really sort of like grabbed me in terms of my attention right and kept me looking and I don't care if it was a really predictable stupid nonsensical swerve by Ric Flair his little dance and punch really (laughs) really did it for me I thought that was really good your MVP I'll give it to Flair that was really good he's strutting around the side considering you're not wrestling that's pretty yeah. good to, to hog that much of the limelight, his performance and his promo that he cuts as well, I thought was really, really good. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the match, I think I'd probably have to go, just flicking back through, I'd probably have to go with that because, I mean, the, the opening match wasn't terrible, but there was, there was nothing else stand out for me and, and purely for that moment. In terms of MVP, I, I want to split it half and half. Half for a promo yeah. for Macho Man and half for potential and intrigue and, and want to see more of Kurosawa because I'd watch more of him based on this okay fair enough I'm going to go for match of the night DDP versus Johnny B. Bad but it mm. wasn't even actually that good it told a story that made sense into the match itself it was the most logical thing of the night well yeah. it, it benefited from kind of being right at the start where, yeah. where none of this other weird shit's happened so you still kind of think it's a wrestling pay-per-view Show. yeah rather than some the, crazy the LSD circus. dream. Yeah. yeah. And my MVP is the giant for surviving death. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Adam, mullet of the night. I'm looking forward to this one because oh, there were right. a lot of contenders. There were loads. I mean, Luger's always a contender because it is amazing. There was a woman in the crowd during this Macho Man Luger yeah. match oh, which and... just was supporting a cracker. Yeah, she was good. But Jimmy Duray was sat right in front of her, wasn't he? Yes, he was. You noticed. DDP and Johnny B. Bad, also very, very worthy. I'm going to give it to Kurosawa. Kurosawa? Yes. He's picking up all the plaudits tonight. He is. The the unsung hero of Halloween Havoc 95. So let's wrap up the different ways you can find us. We are on Facebook at facebook.com slash new generation project podcast. You can tweet us on Twitter at the much less complex new gen podcast we are on soundcloud at soundcloud.com slash new gen podcast and you can find us on stitcher radio as well and in the dungeon of doom (laughs) which is a place and you can teleport there we post all of our new episodes as soon as they are available on piledriverwrestling.net and the back catalog goes up one by one on botchamania.com you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show in iTunes. And again, since the last episode, we've had another deluge of lovely, lovely reviews, and we're edging ever closer to that 55-star reviews before our first birthday. So if you would like to help us out with that, that would be greatly appreciated. And thank you to everybody who's done that so far. And we've, we've had a few people that have been in touch with us recently, just with one thing or another, like the, the Meadow Muffins person contacts us. So thank you for your correspondence. Always good to hear from you. Episode 22 will be Survivor Series 1995, which I can promise you is slightly more sane than this show. Slightly. Incredibly more sane than this show. It's very more sane. Very more sane, with some good booking decisions. So, yeah, look forward to that. My name's Stuart Brooks. Goodbye. I'm Adam Weitz. Goodbye. I'm the Yeti. Goodbye. (laughs) Of course you are. For my monster from his slab began to rise And suddenly, to my surprise He did the match 
He did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. He did the mash. It caught on in a flash. He did the mash. He did the monster mash. From my laboratory in the castle east to the master bedroom where the vampires feast. The ghouls all came from their humble abode to get a jolt from my electrode. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. They did the mash. It caught on in a flash. They did the mash. They did the monster mash. The zombies were having fun. The party had just begun. The guests included Wolfman, Dracula, and the Yeti! The scene was rocking, all were digging the sounds. Igor on chains, backed by his baying hounds. The coffin bangers were about to arrive with their vocal group, the Crypt Kicker Five. They played the mash. They played the monster mash. The monster mash. It was a graveyard smash. They played the mash. It caught on in a flash. They played the mash. They played the monster mash. Out from his coffin rack's voice did ring. Seemed he was troubled by just one thing. Opened the lid and shook his fist and said, The Yeti is taller than a giant! Look at the size of the Yeti! It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. The monster mash. And it's a graveyard smash. It's now the mash. It's caught on in a flash. It's now the mash. It's now the monster mash. Now everything's cool, Drax's a part of the band, and my monster mash is the hit of the land. For you, the living, this mash was meant to. When you get to my door, tell them God is sent. And you can mash. Then you can monster mash. The monster mash. And you, my graveyard smash. Then you can mash. You'll catch on in a flash. Then you can mash. Then you can monster mash. 